Hey, let's start the show. It's May 14th, 2015. Welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. I'm Will Smith, seated directly on my left, wearing the high headphones right now. Norman Chan, how you doing, sir? That's me. Black blood of the earth treating you well today? Fantastic. Beautiful. This is my first experience with the black blood. Jeremy Williams is here. Hi. Drinking the black blood. Uh, black blood of the earth is a Phil Broughton creation. It is vacuum distilled cold brewed coffee, a concentrate that you add hot water to. Most people do a one quarter to three quarters or one third to two thirds ratio of Coffee, coffee's the small size and then water is the rest. If you drink the distillate directly, it can contain enough coffee to kill you. So you got to be careful. Caffeine. Caffeine, caffeine, yeah. Where can you buy it? Uh, you can buy it at funradiumlabs.com, his website. And when you say if you drink the distilled version, enough is a, a liter of concentrated coffee. You have to have a big stomach. Would be too intense. Yes. My mom makes her own cold brew coffee that she puts in the fridge and does this exact thing with where she will use it as a concentrate. Well, the finished product, yeah. So he makes he makes his um, cold brew in a vacuum distiller with like fancy laboratory glassware. Wow. So it's um it's um he creates a vacuum and then that makes the water boil without breaking down the esters of the coffee. My mom. It's does a more not involved process than what your mom does. She doesn't probably. do that. But the concentrate works the same way. And if you don't like a real acidy coffee, you can drink the cold brew oh. concentrate with hot water, and you don't get a lot of the acid that you get in normal black coffee. It's very good. Learning something already. It's what we do. Guys, Norm told me this morning about something that made me very excited. We've talked about the new Muppet show <laughs> coming to ABC's this fall on Tuesdays yeah. uh, before, but they have a trailer. Have you watched the trailer? No. You haven't watched the trailer? Nope. I, so I did, I'm surprised there is a trailer because this was there was the first screen release like a week ago. It's, it's really good. And it, now it's just snowballing. It's, it looks really good. I can't wait. It has, they, the, it's self-aware. Mm-hmm. In a way that you always have expected the Muppets to be. Um, there's a really good bit with Gonzo, which I like. Statler and Waldorf make an appearance. All my favorite Muppets are there. The Swedish Chef, Beaker, oh, good, yeah. Bunsen Honeydew, um, Dr. Teeth, you know the who, band. <clears throat> he wasn't a part of my Muppets growing up, but the uh, lobster. Is he a lobster? No, he's a, he's a prawn. Oh, yeah. he's a late addition. He says, okay, yeah, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, what is he? Is he supposed to be like an okay. English hipster? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. He, he cracks me up. He's my new favorite addition. Really? Yeah, I hope he's in the show. I like the rats. They're funny. Yeah, the rats are good. I Actually, let's just be clear. I like wow. all the Muppets. <laughs> Not so much the Muppets. Is it Pepe? Uh, Pepe? Pepe. Yeah, Pepe yeah, the prawn, yeah. He's yeah. four hands. Well, he's a prawn. He has extra arms. It's a hard puppeting. Oh, boy. That's funny. Did you grow So you, you're you the right age to have watched The Muppet Show when you were growing up, Jeremy. Absolutely. But Norm, I think you probably were oh, young. In the movies. Oh. When did it run? Like 78 to 82 or something like that? 76 to, yeah. It was it was like late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. I, I synced up right with that. So it is, the, the great crime is that only three seasons are available on on like to watch now like you can't find the last two seasons because they released them on dvd and they released them one at a time and like as the sales tapered off they stopped making more box sets wow which blows because the first season the first season is we've talked about this before but the first season is pretty rough 
The first season's a little low budge. Hmm. Like it's clearly, it looks like the kind of thing that with today's technology, a group of say a dozen friends who are good at making puppets could make in their garage. Did it require a little more suspension of disbelief? Could you see that they were puppeteers? Um, you didn't like see hands poking up from underneath the shots. Yeah. Like it was great for kids and their guest stars were clearly like friends of theirs from like the New York creative scene in that time period. Mm-hmm. So like they'd have people who were on Broadway, but not famous still, but fam- <laughs> maybe a little bit famous then. It's I don't what, know what they could get. Yeah. it's Or they'd have artists and stuff like that. Yeah. And then the second season, even toward the end of the first season, it started to be a thing. And people like you started getting real heavy hitters like Tony Bennett and wow. maybe not Tony Bennett, but like legitimately yeah. people yeah. whose appeal is timeless. The 70s version of lip sync battle. What's lip sync battle? It's the cultural phenomenon, television cultural phenomenon of the 2015. I've never heard of this yeah, before. Yeah, I heard about this because I love the Jimmy Fallon lip sync battle. It originated on a G- the Jimmy Fallon uh, Tonight Show as a bit where he would lip sync battle a guest celebrity. This is like air guitar battle? Yeah, so they play the song and it's more about the performance. Yeah. And now it's a full-blown show on Spike, Beats I want to say. Oh, I don't know. And it is celebrities. Is it good? It's very good. I'll have to add it to TiVo. Uh, I think there was an AMA recently with the guy who plays Big Bird. Oh, yes. Carol, uh, uh, Carol Spinney. Nicely done. And he told a very heartening story about, um, well, he told a few stories. The happier story that I read was he was changing costume once when they were on set and accidentally a child saw this happening. Oh, no. And the child was startled and ran away and he yelled give me back my <laughs> the head immediately and he threw it on and he chased after the child and he found the child and he said i'm okay i'm okay it's big bird it's me i'm okay and the kid started was relieved and said oh my gosh i thought that man was trying to hurt you oh <gasps> so wow you know the secret of big bird right have you seen like how carol spinney fits into the big bird costume before no, no. yes so if your kids are watching listening Make them go away now. We'll give you a moment. Well, the reason the AMA is also there's a documentary about Big Bird being big, being yeah. his being Big Bird. But he's like one the his arm his one arm goes up into the head. The other no arm way. is the is the arm that's arm. articulate, and then the other arm is like slaved to the other arm. Wow! Um, so the whole time it's like it's like head to the side, arm up high. It looks like literally the most uncomfortable puppeteering of all time. That's amazing. Yeah. So he's still doing the standard Muppet, you know, handheld yeah. mouth movement. I think there's an armature or something that moves the mouth. That's but yeah. so cool. But is Big Bird a Muppet? I don't think Big Bird's a Muppet. Yeah, Big Bird's a Muppet. No, Big Bird's made of felt and fake feathers. Well, now I think Muppets have to have the 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 vinyl fur stuff. Muppet is a combination of puppet and marionette, right? Isn't yes, that the Jim Henson that is, approved definition? And, and but the original Muppet was just puppet. Yeah, it didn't need to have the marionette, the strings. When you say marionette, it's the, so this, uh, a, a, a string hung puppet. Well, but sometimes the marionette for Muppets are from below. From below, right? Yes. So they usually use those to move the arms. Yeah. Which so is the K- trick. Kermit is one hand is you know, much like Big Bird, one hand for mouth, and one hand for moving both arms with sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if Big Bird qualifies. Why not? Because there's no sticks. There's no marionette element. Well, no, there is because the other arm is a marionette. Like it's marionetted from inside the costume, I would think. Muppet. Is, I think Big Bird is Muppet. Is Cookie Monster a Muppet? Now, we talked about this. Yeah, I think... I. So, there's two ways to look at it, right? 
One way is that the monsters, a class of creatures on Sesame Street that include such stalwarts as Elmo. I think Grover is probably a monster, but I'm not sure because he is the monster at the end of the book. Right. What book? The book. Have you, did you never read the monster at the end of this book to your kids? Nope. Oh, my God. There's a book. <laughs> it features Grover, who's a little bit of a coward. Uh-huh. Um, and Grover reads the title of the book. It's very self-aware, for especially for something in the 70s. Grover reads the title of the book, which is the monster at the end of this book. And he gets really, really nervous <laughs> that the monster, that he's, that he's going to be afraid of the monster at the end of the book. Yeah. So he does things like nail the pages together, builds brick walls. Did neither of you read this book as a kid? Oh, it, it's been around since we were kids? I, it's a book that I had as a kid. And like we were walking through the bookstore and I had like one of those like chonk, chonk, chonk crash zoom flashbacks when I was in the bookstore. I was like, I had this book when I was a child. You hadn't thought about it since. Hadn't thought about it in 35 years. That's cool. Um so we got it, read it. It's 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 a fabulous book. They updated it with another monster at the end of the book. So there's an Elmo version as well for the for the simpler generation that followed. <laughs> um, the simpler generation. But like, I don't know if monsters are Muppets. Are monsters a separate class of puppets that aren't Muppets? This is, or a, are think, they a subset think, of Muppets? This uh, is a strange. We're talking about taxonomy, so we're talking about taxonomy yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think Muppets are the physical characteristics, and monster is a personality. Is is a, a subset of is a subset of like, the, like the monsters usually have googly eyes. This is a strange distinction that I never would have thought. And to like draw. fur fur bodies, not the felt. Like Kermit is clearly made of like a felt like substance. Oh, right, well, we're okay. talking about. So you're talking about material construction as big, one yes. identifier. Big bird is well, feathers. You're talking about yeah. uh, uh, the the way it's brought to life, the animation, the puppeteering uh-huh. as one differentiating factor, mm-hmm. and then you're talking about the character, uh, the personality of the character, the. Uh, the more traditional classification. Well, the monsters were originally treated kind of as, you know, they were a little subhuman. They were, they were uh, slaves to their whims and desires. So you're saying someone like a cookie monster could elevate himself to become a cookie Muppet. I don't know if he can. I mean, Cookie Monster is a slave to the cookie. He can't. He can't say no to the cookie. I, he has to eat them. This is wrong. I mean, if he might be a cookie monster and he might be a slave to the cookie, but he's a Muppet. Through and through, but he's he, a Muppet. He has fur, not felt. Doesn't Ralph the dog have fur? Ralph's a dog, though. He's not. He's a Muppet dog. Yes, that's what I'm saying. So dog, you're saying these are Muppet monsters? Monster, frog, pig. Monster just happens to uh, be what they are. This is rocking my entire world. You must embrace them. I love all the Muppets. And I love all the monsters, and too. And as you said, even the monsters on Sesame Street aren't evil. Nobody's evil. They're no, all, mu- this, yeah. is, this is my only... We talked about this before, but my only complaint with what is otherwise a fabulous like 2010 or 2011 the Muppets movie with Jason Segal and Amy Adams is that there are evil Muppets in that movie. The Muppets undeniably evil well, as evil in the, I suppose in the sense of good and bad in the Muppet universe. They are, they are, they are monsters in both forms of well, the there, word. There is the bad guys like the, mm-hmm. the seriously, but the guys who work for, um, you know, the guy from American beauty, um, the, the evil man, the, uh, Tex Murphy who raps, I'm um, Tex. No, no, I'm um, Tex. Oh, Chris Murphy. Cooper. Yeah, Chris yeah, Cooper. Thank Chris you. Cooper. So the Muppets that work for him, yeah. they're, uh, I mean, you can tell. They're Muppets. They feel, they, they're not Muppets. Those they're are Muppets. the Muppets. Muppets are the bad band in uh, in Las Vegas. Also the Muppets. They, they show up as his henchmen. <laughs> I don't think that there should be evil Muppets. Okay. No, no, I mean, I, mean, I it's a very naive way to look at the world. So, I, I agree with you. Hold on. Are the Muppets, are the Muppets Muppets? Or are the Muppets so Muppets? The, the, the Muppets are Muppets lowercase, but not Muppets uppercase. Muppets uppercase are the band, the the, the like troop, the, the, the troop. Yeah, you don't. You, even if you are by by design, by by physical design, a Muppet lowercase, you have to earn the right to be Muppet uppercase. 
like as as what's his name did in Jason Segel's brother mm. in the Muppets. Jason Segel's brother. Segel's yes. brother. Huh. The one that no one remembers. He'll Walter. be part of the Walter. He'll be part of Walter. the show as well. Walter. Yeah. Yeah. Is he a Muppet or is he a man? He decided he's a Muppet. Yeah. He's a Muppet. That's he's the... a Muppet of a man. <laughs> um, I am very excited about this. It's going to be shot like The Office. Fake documentary style, Dirty rock, which I think is Dirty, perfect. Yeah, because like we talked about before, the Muppets was original. Like the, what Muppets was the original version of that, the show where it was the backstage story. Yeah, of the of the stage performance, and yeah. so it's perfect. Well, I mean, the neat thing about the original Muppet Show is it is you see the stage performances; those are kind of the centerpieces of the of the. Set. But the thing that really tells the story and tells the story of the Muppets and brings those puppets to life, yeah, makes is it, the backstage yeah. drama, yeah. and the interaction of the human guest and the Muppets. So, like when Steve Martin comes on the show, which he did, I think, a couple of times, and plays the banjo and puts the arrow through his ears and the whole thing, it, it's it, like he's he's hanging out backstage and Scooter is on his ass to get out there because he's, he's got a call time and it's it's all yeah, great. It's like a per home companion movie. It is, except for it's good. It's <laughs> the big difference. I've seen the Paramount Companion live. That's that's a good oh, show. I want to see it. It's oh, a good show. Boy. It's one of my bucket list things to do. Uh, wow. Speaking of Muppets and puppets, I got to see some puppets yesterday. Ooh. Uh, I was down in L.A. with Joey. Uh, we visited uh, the prop store collection of Rick Baker's entire history. Was this in works. Prop Store's warehouse? They... Bill, uh, they rented out an entire second warehouse to house this collection, uh, which is going on auction uh, end of this month, May 29th, on their website and in person if you're in L.A. area, I think the Universal Hilton. Uh, but if you are into practical effects, makeup, prosthetics, um, puppeteering, uh, Rick Baker is a legendary effects artist, and he is semi-retired now, so his entire... Legacy is most of it's going up on auction. Wow! What's what, something I would know of his uh, American Werewolf in so London? So he started off doing uh, stuff with John Landis. He did the makeup for Thriller for American Werewolf in London. That was one of his first jobs. First, like one of his, his first jobs. One wow. of his. He worked on um, what was the name of Landis's early movie? The uh, one about the monster. Schlock. The, uh, no, the yeah, Schlock or something yes. like that. It's a it's a gorilla, basically a gorilla makeup. But he, so. John Landis on our talking room, on Adam's talking room with him a couple of years ago, Landis told the story of meeting Rick Baker when he was a young kid just starting out, and he was literally, like, baking latex in his mom's oven. Um, you know, so he went out to his house in the in the valley or something and met him and was like, oh, you got to... He showed him some of his, his werewolf stuff, and he was like, oh, you've got you to gotta do this. It's a great story. You should go back and watch it. <laughs> yeah, Schlock is the, the, the one of the first... Their first collaboration, I think. Um, and then after he did Thriller, uh, he did stuff throughout, you know, the 80s he and 90s. He did Return of the Jedi stuff, right? Wasn't oh. Sice Noodles and Max Rebo and the, the band in uh, Jabba's Palace that no longer exists, Rick Baker? Or was that Phil Tippett, maybe? That's a very good question. Um, I'll look it up. You keep yes, talking. please look it up. Uh, he did a bunch of ape stuff. So he did um, the 2001 Planet of the Apes. He did um, a lot of animatronics work for Mighty Joe Young. Um, God, what was that British apes movie uh, that we talked about? Uh, he did Gremlins 2. And so in terms of puppets. <laughs> Wait, there was a Gremlins 2? Yeah, the new batch. <laughs> And it was crazy. Wow. We saw, I saw so many uh, of those. Oh, Graystroke is what you're talking about. Yes. Graystroke. So Will's holding up the the auction catalog. The Legend of Tarzan? Uh, Yes, I think. And then he also did all the Men in Black movies. Oh, really? All the creatures from the Men in Black movies. That's what these guys are from. I I, I thought this was Sice Noodles, but it's creatures from the Men in Black movies. So. Uh, I got to see all that stuff in person, which is incredible. Uh, also, you did like Nutty Professor, 
uh, movies, a lot of the Eddie Murphy movies. Uh, Harry and uh, the Life, Hendersons. Harry and Hendersons. But basically, all these masks, these appliances, the, like, the actual gremlins, everything is going on auction um, in just a few weeks. Even the thriller stuff. Even, uh, from the thriller stuff, I think they have like a, a mold and a few of the appliances. Not like a life cast. Some of the stuff isn't like uh, doesn't hold up that well because how old it is. And yeah, right. back then they were using foam latex and not silicone. But some of the stuff holds up surprisingly well. Um, like how did the gremlin stuff look? The mogwai and all that stuff. Fantastic. And got to got up close and I, I, pu- I may have may or may not have puppeteered a, a gremlin and really? one of the Men in Black worms. Mm. So me too. Uh, Fantastic. Cool. There's a lot of gremlin stuff in here if you're into that. We'll have some videos uh, in the next few weeks, but those are also puppets. Oh, there's a panda here for something. Batman Forever stuff? Batman Forever. Batman and Robin. One of the coolest things I saw, and we actually didn't talk about this in video, is in Batman and Robin... Do you remember the, that terrible movie? Uh, yeah, the one, Thurman and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, I always get that one in the Jim Carrey and, and, and Two-Face one mixed so up. So you may be close to the page, but for Batman and Robin, uh, there are scenes where Mr. Freeze freezes people. Yes. He like shoots them and then his, even his own, his own henchmen. He freezes them and like the, because of the, the, right there, that page. Those oh, wow. are life-size silicone characters with full clothing encased in a a right plastic in a, in a resin f- shell of ice. That's amazing. So it's plastic ice. Wow. And when, when, look, when when Arnold says "ice to meet you" and, and then he freezes, freezes some guys, one of his, one of his you know a, a pedestrian or one of his henchmen. That's cool. And behind it's life size, and behind that person, behind the ice, behind the clear ice, the plastic, is a super super lifelike silicone person. Wow, that's bananas. Um, Preserved. There's the uh, it, he did a lot of he did did a lot of human stuff like like stuff that was supposed to be alive, yeah, prosthetics that made people look like monsters or like like gorillas or whatever. Um, it's really cool. Um, here I'm into the Men in Black section now, and yeah, that was the Mikey the Mikey costume. Yeah, okay, not not size noodles. Says he worked on Star Wars as well, A New Hope. Really? Hmm. Yeah, he is known for his work on Men in Black. I wonder if it was the stuff in the in the um, in the cantina. I wonder if we did cantina monsters. I don't know if there were any Star Wars stuff at at the warehouse yesterday. My guess is that that stuff is owned by Lucas. Um, I think they were careful about that. But Rick Baker stuff and uh, those videos will be next week. They'll be uh, today's, but tomorrow we'll see one of them. Cool, cool. Um, I was super jealous. I went to MakerCon yesterday, uh, but instead, MakerCon is... that is, the thing at Palace of Fine Arts? It's the thing at Palace of Fine Arts, yeah. Oh, wow. um, Affiliated with Maker Fair? It's put on by Maker Fair. It's, um, so basically, Maker Fair is for people to come and gawk at people who make cool stuff, and, and for people who make cool stuff to come show it to the general public. MakerCon is for people who are either in the process of turning the things that they make into a business or want to start exploring that, or are pushing through. So it's a, it was a kind of weird, good weird, but it was a mix of like people who make stuff that's awesome in from like 3d printers to garage kits for things that like, uh, it's, it's a lot of stuff that we'll actually see at maker fair this week. I went partly to see what MakerCon was about, partly to see Chris Anderson give the keynote and then partly to, um, to scout out stuff for maker fair this weekend when we were shooting. Um, but then there's also like VCs and angel investors and stuff like that walking around. There's people who help 
uh, do video production for Kickstarter videos and stuff like that that were that were there. Um, and there's people who've done successful kick like. Uh, Eric Klein, who's a friend of the site, did a session in the morning with um, some folks from Kickstarter and, and other campaigns where they just kind of answered questions about like the right how to figure out what the right price for your Kickstarter is, how to figure out um, like all, all of that stuff so that you don't end up in a situation. Like I know when you were working on your Kickstarter, Jeremy, you were your your one of your fears was that you would not account for either massive over success or you know just barely hitting the number that you wanted to get and end up out of pocket to fulfill all the all the um all the kickstarter uh backers and stuff like that so yeah they talked a lot about that stuff um intel and nvidia and um some of the other big sponsors for maker fair were also there with with projects that were using their technology so there's a lot of like uh, computer vision stuff from nvidia uh intel had their kind of um, you know, their Raspberry Pi competitor that's a little probably more capable, a little bit more expensive, is but it, it also has it, like built in Wi Fi and stuff. Did they take over where the Exploratorium used to be? So that's another thing to talk about. Yeah. It was in the ghost of the Exploratorium building, which is essentially unchanged inside. Well, the structure of the Exploratorium building and which is the Exploratorium building. We should explain what that uh, is. First. Is the Palace of Fine Arts that was built for the 2000 uh, or uh, 1915. Um, Pan Pacific International Exposition, nice, and Good. one of the reasons yeah. that the that building still holds up is because it was one of the few buildings artistically it was beautiful, but it's a Palace of Fine Arts. So in the in that World's Fair, essentially, uh, that was the pavilion where the art for the world was housed, and so for the art to be uh, insured, they needed to the festival organizers and the World's Fair organizers need to build that building up to the standards to survive an earthquake, basically. And so that's one of the few reasons that building still stands today hmm. as basically the last remnant of the at World's Fair. For people who haven't seen it, it feels like an airplane hangar in there. It's it is. It's very high ceilings, longest. massive, long. And outside, as you know, there's this giant lake, and they've restored much of it. Uh, but in a, before three years ago, it was the home of uh, the Exploratorium, which is the first we've talked about it before, one of the first science museums in the country and a designer of science exhibits. Uh, that has since moved to the pier in San Francisco. So that empty shell of the Palace of Fine Arts uh, now, at least uh, as of earlier this year, uh, is hosting a small exhibit about the World's Fair. Yeah. I would have loved to go on to MakerCon, but it's not cheap. It's not like Maker Fair. No. You get a ticket. It's a thousand bucks. Yeah. It's, I mean, it is it, like if you're going to go, you should be prepared to, to learn and yeah. you need to get something out of it if you're going to spend that money to go. Um, I talked to a bunch of interesting folks who have good projects. I met um, the guys who are doing the keyboard, uh, the, the the couple who are doing the keyboard IO, keyboard EO, hmm. which is another, um, Norm and I have both been using the Ergodox lately, but it's a it's a more produced, less kitty uh, mechanical keyboard, ergonomic keyboard that's fully split and all that stuff. It was super cool. Got to see that hands-on. We're going to go visit them soon. Um, and then a bunch of other, like a bunch of other just good projects that are that are out there. So... Um, I think it's Slack that's making noise for me. So um, turn off that I'm Slack. Turn off, turn off Slack. Uh, see what else? Have, what else has been going on? Uh, Microsoft announced the additions for Windows 10. Still no pricing after that first free oh, year. Oh, they're doing additions. So this is my question. I mean, I, here's the thing. <laughs> there, there's f- six, seven additions. <laughs> of course, there is. Some of them, like, they have to have a differentiation between enterprise... Right, can I guess what the additions are? Well, that you have a list in front of you. I, I, I'm not looking at the not. list. Okay. 
there's a enterprise edition. Yes. A professional edition. Pro. Pro. A home edition. Yep. A um, let's call it, uh, embedded devices edition. Internet of Things Core. Uh, okay. Basically. Okay. And then. Got ultimate. Three, three more. Ultimate. No, no ultimate. Um. Think about all the devices you might use Windows on. Phone edition? Mobile. Mobile? So Windows Mobile. Windows Phone is now Windows Mobile once again. <laughs> We've come full circle. You got two more. I, I got nothing. Why are there more versions? Only so there's Enterprise Mobile? Car version? He said Enterprise version. No, no. But there's Enterprise Mobile. Oh. Oh, really? <laughs> and uh, Education. So uh, the two that matter for us, three that matter for us, I guess, are or four. Maybe I, presumably somebody's going to use Windows Phone, Windows Mobile, sorry. Home Pro, Internet of Things Core, and Mobile are the ones that matter. It seems like Pro has all the work group um, Active Directory Enterprise stuff as well as the BitLocker. So you can encrypt your hard drive seamlessly using the TPM module on your motherboard. Um, home is Home. Like, just the bare bones. Since they're all going to be free for the first year, I can't imagine why you would not get anything but Pro for your computer at home. So that was my question. There's a lot of talk of this free upgrade for even pirated, you know, Windows the 7 users. Pirated versions are still... So there's two components to this. One is that it's you're not going to have to, like, download an ISO and all that. You're going to be able to get the update through Windows Update. Uh-huh. That's, the, that's what they say when they say they're going to upgrade pirated users for free. The pirated users, as I understand it, are still going to get the same thing that happens if, the, if they detect that you're using a pirated version now, which is that they kind of turn off some of the whiz-bang features of Windows for pirates until you pony up 99 bucks for a key. Okay. So presumably that's still going to be the case. But if I'm a registered user, do I get the free equivalent version? If I'm home, can I get Pro for free, or do I have to get the home version for free? Previously, yes. you've been able to go up. So you've been able to go from home to pro or from pro to ultimate, which doesn't exist anymore and hasn't since, I think, Windows Vista, maybe. Maybe Windows 7. I can't mm-hmm. remember. Um, you won't be able to go back down. So if you have pro, most likely you won't be able to go back down because of things like BitLocker. So if you have your hard drive encrypted with BitLocker and you want to go from the BitLocker version of Windows to the no BitLocker version of yeah, Windows. But who would want that? Well, it, you know, people, people will do all sorts of dumb things if you give them the option. But it's a free upgrade. Are you saying it's, it's only free for the first year and then I have only to pay? Only free for the first year. I thought there was a window in which I could upgrade. Yeah. If you upgrade after that year, you'll have to pay. Oh, fine. There's no, seemingly there's no cost. They want to get you on Windows 10. Then why the tears? For after the year's over? For after the year's over, oh presumably. Support. Right. And also, like, normal people don't need all that Active Directory crap. They want home group. But home and pro, come on. It, oh. should, it should all be pro. It should just be Windows 10. It should, exactly. Yep. For users. We are the users. Um, they still haven't announced price after the year. I think to reiterate things we've talked about before, they didn't have... Um, like they, 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 it's not going to be a gotcha where they're like, well, now it's sixty dollars a year to use Windows after that first year. It's just going to be, there will be. I, I assume there are going to be like forty or fifty dollar upgrades on an annual basis going forward. Because the other thing they announced is that Windows Ten is the is Windows for now on, from now on, in the same way that OS Ten has been oh Mac OS for the last ten years. Um, so we'll see presumably ten point one, ten point two, ten point three, etc. Okay. Um, AOL and Verizon. Uh, Verizon's buying AOL for Ooh. billions of dollars. Surprising. How much money? 
4.4 billion, I think. 4.4 billion dollars. Yeah. I guess you can't round off that 10th when it's a billion dollars. Um, kind of a big surprise move. Now, I know, okay, let's get this out of the way. Ha ha, Verizon is buying a dial-up company. Ha ha ha, 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 ha. free hours on Verizon. What's Verizon going to do with all ha, those ha. discs? Okay. Do I get AIM free with my iPhone 6 Plus next year? You know, it doesn't make it funny just because you're making fun of yourselves. It's not funny. <laughs> it's, uh, that's the point. Here's the, the thing. The point was that it was never funny. There's two <laughs> things that most people don't know about AOL. Maybe three. Okay. So, so the uh, and to preface that, uh, a lot of people are like, oh, is this could just be like, for example, Comcast uh, and Time, uh, Warner. Time Warner. Yeah. Exactly. Where uh, you know Comcast buys a media a, 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 a media network company mm-hmm. buys a media company. Well, but Comcast this, and Time Warner are both ISPs, theoretically. Yes, they're they're yes. big, larger companies, but yes. Comcast owns a bunch of other stuff. Time Warner is primarily an ISP. So Comcast was trying to expand the reach of its ISP network, assume, assuming. Or, or let's say, uh, in a better example, Comcast buying uh, Viacom. Yes. Yeah. So, But this is not that either. Well, okay, so AOL makes, does three, three, three things. There's all the legacy crap that we all think about, and they still have a bunch of dial-up subscribers that are generating a fair amount of money. Um, yeah, millions. Like a couple million. A couple million dollars. It's not... No, 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 uh, customers. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of country, a lot, a lot of the country that doesn't have broadband, yeah. and a lot of people that don't give a shit enough to pay more than $10 a month for internet. Um, AOL also has a really advanced ad platform. This is full disclosure time. AOL sells ads for tested... Oh, uh, for dot com, not for the YouTube channel. Okay, I also used to do tech support for AOL. Really? <laughs> yes, that was one of my first jobs. Like on a call center? Yeah, I still use AIM. Full, I full <laughs> Norm and I actually still use AIM fairly regularly. <laughs> we have Slack now, but we still also use AIM. Um, okay, so AOL does that. They have this. They have advanced ad serving on both desktop browsers and mobile. Mobile is a thing that everybody's kind of freaked out about right now because mobile traffic is in is growing at a pace that far ex- exceeded what advertiser the advertising industry uh, expected. People are using their phones to browse the web much much more than they were two three years ago, and it's ramping to the point that like a lot of sites are seeing fifty plus percent of their traffic on mobile. And right now, it's really there's only a few companies that are actually selling mobile ads. And making money at them, and wow. AOL is one of them. And we're not talking about mobile banner ads. But we're talking about all sorts of ads in the mobile space: mobile, mobile banner ads, embedded video. ads, video, um, and and in apps. I think too. I don't know. If, I don't know if AOL does in apps, but it's relatively easy once you have the infrastructure. In is place that to do their the primary stuff. revenue stream now? I have no idea. Okay. Um, and then AOL also owns a bunch of content sites, including such behemoths as the Huffington Post. Um, and then all the old TechSmith sites like Engadget, and I think they shut down Joystick last year. But a bunch of that, a bunch of those sites are still around. Um, and then TechCrunch as well, and all of the TechCrunch. I think a lot of the TechCrunch events, but that might have been. I didn't know that Huffington Post. I, I said Huffington Post like, first. Huffington Post is still like I, when you look at like top fifteen sites on the web, it's it's one of the largest sites on the internet. Um, consistently, and because of Huffington Post being so big, AOL is also one of that makes AOLs like. If you look at those, when you look at a Huffington Post article, I don't know if you go there often, but at the bottom, there's almost always a video that's somehow tangentially related to the to the article. Those videos all have ads in front of them, or many of them do, and those ads that they're selling to viewers of Huffington Post make them one of the largest distributors of video ads. It's like it's mm. like obviously YouTube is number one with a bullet, and then it's a fight for number two. 
but it's still a massive amount of, of traffic, a massive amount of money. So Verizon has a vested interest in selling ads on mobile, um, and presumably that's what they want. It's unclear what they want with the content side of 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 um, of uh, AOL. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, super, super. I, I there were rumors about this in January, and then they kind of petered out, which usually means that it's not going to go anywhere. And then wham, out of nowhere, a couple of days ago. Hey guys, AOL buying Verizon. Other way around. Verizon's buying yeah. AOL. Yeah. <laughs> Switch that reverse. We're not ten years ago. Yeah, it's kind of like a Google going the other direction, getting in the fiber. You know, would Google went into the telemarket or uh, telephony industry, and Verizon's kind, going the other direction. Kind of, but Ver- Google did that to apply pressure to the incumbents. Yeah, and Verizon is doing that because they want to remain relevant in an ad in an ad world yeah. that focuses on mobile. So Verizon is as an ISP is not a company you normally also associate with a company that wants to sell ads. I mean, I look at like what Comcast has experimented with with DNS replacement ads and stuff like that, um, and I think that all of those ISPs are looking at, hey, we have this many million subscribers. If we can get incremental revenue off of off of them by replacing the ads that are on existing sites, or like the thing that Comcast did that was sleazy was the DNS swap. Like when you when you do an off by one URL, they would give you a landing page that had a bunch of ads that would direct you to the right place and then try to sell the it like that that stuff. All that stuff is bad. But having good mobile ads helps people like us continue to make content for free for consumers, for people who want to read it and and view it, which is, I think, good for the web, even though nobody really likes ads that much. And how is this going to affect end users or, let's say, readers of those websites? Um, I'll bet they'll be very... Or Verizon subscribers? They'll be very careful. Presumably, I mean, so Verizon launched a content site last year um, there was a tech site that they wouldn't let cover things like net neutrality and Verizon being dicks to customers, which makes it, you know, that's a core part of like sites like Ars Technica's content plan. Um, it, presumably coming into sites that already exist, if they want to retain staff at all or keep those sites running and worth anything, they're not going to interfere with their editorial operations. Cause I mean, we have lots of friends and former coworkers that are working at sites like Engadget and, and TechCrunch. Um, and those folks will quit. Like they'll walk mm-hmm. and, and you saw what happened with, um, was it the standard national standard or basically if you have a, if you do so, if, if Verizon does something that incurs a whole staff walkout at and gadget tech crunch or HuffPo, those sites are, are, have problems or even a significant amount of staff. So you think there's any possibility that Verizon or Google at this point could make a ad supported cell phone? I, I mean, it depends on what, like, not a not a premium phone, but I think that if you're looking at a sub hundred dollar cost phone, there's no reason. Yeah, that's what I mean. No service yeah. plan. Oh, not yet. Okay. I mean, I think I I wouldn't. I, I think there's a market for that. Is, I would imagine like, there I, is. I think that there are people who would once a day watch an ad on their phone for yeah in exchange for not paying eighty dollars a month for their phone. I bet there's a big market for that. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of money and it's not, it's one of those things that's way harder on people who are lower income than people who are higher income. Cause you know, $80, $80 in San Francisco is a lot less than $80 in Peoria, mm-hmm. which is always the middle of America example, even though it's outside Chicago. Anyway, um, AOL and Verizon, uh, the ultra HD Blu-ray spec was finalized earlier. Way more interesting you think? and potentially more impactful <laughs> to actual users. So the resolution 3840 by 2160, so 2K. Ex- well, no, it's very close to 4K. This is what... what oh, we, right. What, 
Because it's not lines. It's 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 it's, it's vertical. Yeah, right. So stupid. Yeah. And this is exactly when you buy a 4K monitor right now. This is that resolution. What? That's the four. That's what a four. That's what they're. So is this a yes. standard? This 4K or is this just what everybody's landed on? Because that's what the panels. Well, are. there are two. To be clear, four, this is not 4K. 4K is like an additional 200 pixels. Okay. Uh, horizontal. But. but, but when you when you think about when you say 4K content on like like YouTube yes. for example, yes, yes, or yes. when you shoot 4K video on a GoPro, what they mean is Ultra HD. What they mean is Ultra HD, which is twice 1920 by 1080 yeah. in both directions. Yes, four times the number of pixels total. Right, um, and it's that's so that, I think that's okay. That's totally fine from a resolution perspective, from a pixel pixel resolution perspective, pixel dimension perspective. Ultra HD Blu-ray, not that surprising. So what else? It's going to support frame rates up to 120 frames per second. I thought it was only 60. No, 120. Oh, up, that's exciting. But they haven't revealed what resolutions will support that. Oh. In the case of Blu-ray, 60 hertz was only supported in 720p. Right. As you suggested earlier, before we started airing, maybe because of the HDMI spec. At the time that the spec yeah. was final. Um, the, you can do 48 frames a second, essentially, because when you do 3D Blu-ray, it's 24 per eye. 24 frames a second per eye. Okay. But I think that required like HDMI 1.4 or something like that. I can't remember mm-hmm. specifics, but I, I do know that the new spec will require all the full spec will require two O point or two O a or something like that. HDMI 2.0. Two, yeah. A. Yeah. So uh, well, HDMI 2.0 now can do four. ultra HD at 60 FPS. Yeah. Okay. 60, 60 Hertz. Yeah. Um, and display port can do display port 1.3 can do that. No yeah. problem. Um, but 120, there's probably doubling mm-hmm. again. So they haven't talked about video codecs yet, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, it's fully backwards compatible. D- to be expected. I wonder yep. if that goes all the way back to DVD, if they're going to pull the plug on that stuff. Is Blu-ray so backwards compatible with DVD? Well, you can put a DVD in, a, I mean. in all Blu-ray players. Is that true? Okay. I mean, here's the thing. I've never had a dedicated Blu-ray player. I've been using consoles yeah. for the last 10 years to play Blu-rays. Yeah. So I, I don't actually, I never had a set-top Blu-ray player, I assume, but I don't know. Right? No, my, I have a top Blu-ray player, and it's. I think it's DVDs yeah, work. DVDs right? fine. Yeah, Sony. Yeah, and and I mean, here's the thing. Blu-ray, most people I know have like us have consoles that can do Blu-ray. It's a it's a fine selling point for it, but Blu-ray players are cheap. Yeah, yeah. fifty bucks. Yep. Um, the thing, the th- the reason it was probably inexpensive for them to do DVD backwards compatibility in a Blu-ray player is that Blu-ray has MPEG two in the spec. So they're already paying licensing fees to Fraunfelder or whoever owns MPEG-2 now. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, HDR? Audio, what does that mean? High dynamic range. I know, but what does that mean for, for Presum- video? Oh, oh, Presumably the, it means wider gamut video. The color range of this new spec is beyond what movie theaters have to support. Yeah. It's way wicked. It's like 70 or 80 percent. It's 75 or 80% of what the human eye can see. Really? Yeah. And movie theaters only have to um, produce about 50% of that. But how does that relate to what a TV can, like a, about the same. a 4K TV uh, can I mean, display? This is what... Mm, what do you mean? Like, you know, if if, a, if the Blu-ray player, if the disc supports oh, it. Oh, you so mean the TV needs to support it? The yes, they exactly. do. But the new TVs coming out this year are going to support HDR. So this is going to be the new, th- this could be a CES thing. A big CES play. Yeah, I think, about, I think this will I, be. I think the it big was. CES I think this play. is the year when they actually come out. They were they were shown at CES. Well, Panasonic had a demo unit last year that nobody gave a shit about because there was no spec. Right, like right. this this year CES for TVs it was quantum pixels, mm. quantum dots. Those also didn't matter. Also didn't matter. You know, last year curved TVs. This year quantum dots. Next year is it uh, Blu-ray, um, uh, UHD Blu-ray, yep. and uh, all wide gamut TVs. Like wide gamut TVs, 
let's if you want to talk about something that actually will make a difference in how you view films, especially wide gamut TVs will make noirs and things that have a lot of black much more viewable. Yeah, if home. the source video has a bit rate and, and well, support it. Yeah. I mean, with Blu-ray, the gamut is NTSC gamut, right? So I, I, I think it's probably going to end up being one of those things that only video files care about. Honestly, I, I don't think that regular people are going to tell the difference in Best Buy. I don't know. You look at a good computer monitor that has a full gamut or a phone that has full gamut. Maybe a, I haven't seen a, that. Yeah, maybe. Like, look, at, look at old phones versus new phones. Mm-hmm. Look at pre-iPhone 4 and modern iPhone and look at the color reproduction of photos. And it's pretty pretty immediately apparent if you do it side by side. I can call them HDR TV. I don't think so. I hope not. I mean, oh. we need some more. HDR confuses the issue because it has HD in it. They're going to call this Ultra HD plus Ultra plus. Right, and it's a different <laughs> HD. The both words are yeah. one. The one word's shared. Hi, but but they're not. Nobody looks beyond the acronym when you're buying mm-hmm. a TV at Best Buy. If anybody still does that, it might be an opportunity to consolidate HD hyphen R TVs. Oh goodness! Well, if we have hyphen, then they'll end up also being a competing standard. It's HD plus R, so we don't want that. <laughs> um, audio specs that they've announced support for are Dolby Atmos and DTSX. They're saying that anything that you want to put on the disc that isn't supported, like they're 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 not having a built-in requirement for audio this time. It seems like, uh, but they'll pass through. The players will all pass through whatever bit streams you put on the disc. Oh, that's cool. So for so presumably that means you're going to have to upgrade receivers to take advantage of this stuff. My hunch is that there will be fallback for Dolby Digital and DTS HD and Dolby HD um, mm-hmm. minimum. On the disc. On on the disc. As separate tracks. As separate tracks. Yeah. Or alternately, those these new these new specs will degrade gracefully when presented with this DTS HD decoder. Here's the fact that the spec is out and it, it, you know to some extent this echoes physical port specs and how slow like for example the USB specs take to and video specs take to get certified get to manufacturers. It takes nothing for Amazon or Netflix just to say, we're encoding differently, well, we're recording differently, editing differently, and we're going to pipe out a better signal. It does take something, because if they want to change codecs, then they, or go beyond, like, there's a min spec for H.264. If you look at, like, popular boxes, the Roku 2 is probably less capable of, of high-level H.264 decoding than, say, and, and the Apple TV 1, the, the current Apple TV are less capable than say the new Roku and you know Chromecast and I, I'm just pulling things out of my uh, out of my but there there are different levels of capability in terms of H.264 decoding. There's no capability right now, as far as I know, on anything that you can buy in the fifty to hundred dollar price range for H.265 decoding. Which presumably, since the disc sizes are getting bigger, but not by much, while the pixel count is quadrupling. Have we mentioned the disc size yet? It's sixty. What you said, sixty six gigabytes per layer or a hundred. Yeah, mm-hmm. or or a hundred per layer, no, or no, total. I don't know how many layers, but it's sixty six. Oh. The option with Blu Ray was twenty five or fifty. Yeah, this is sixty six or hundred. At and some they, point, does this disc get close enough to you know where the master? I mean, you're going to be doing some compression, but what the like are to make it truly archival? Like your four K master for? I, I think anytime you're talking about lossy de- de- decompression, it's not archival, right? Well, I mean, yeah. So it. And, but and the comp- the compression gets better. They got the resolution right though, because I think most of the people are you know archiving at four or five K. That's pretty well, pretty great. Now they're doing film transfers at eight K. Oh, is that which right? Which is capturing grain, like yeah, like depending on how the film was. Because the thing is, film grain can be tiny, can be huge, mm-hmm. depending on what ISO film you're using, how it's exposed, how it's developed. Um, they're when they do eight K. 
theoretically on most, what, as I understand it, and if you're in the audience, there's probably people in the audience that understand this stuff much better than we do. So I would love to hear comments on, on the fine details of this. Um, my understanding is that when you're doing like 8K shots of most film, you're getting better than grain, better resolution than the grain of the mm-hmm. film. Um, 8K digital shots? 8, 8K digital transfers. Okay. So, but I, I mean, again, we're not experts on that. And that's that, 35 so. millimeter or not 70 millimeter. 70 millimeter is a whole different problem. Yes. Um, the, so they didn't talk about video codecs. I I have to assume this is H265 or something. Mm -hmm. I assume that just like Blu-ray has a melange of codecs that it supports, including MPEG-2 and VC1 and H264, there's going to be H264 as a bare minimum and then 265 and, and probably something else that somebody else jams into the spec. Um, and as time goes on, the discs will probably end up looking better as they have with each generation. Yeah. It seems like authoring houses have to learn codecs, just yeah. like anyone learns new software. Well, and like when H.264 became mega popular, like if you think about it, H.264 is like is less than 12 years old or 10 years old um, from a piece of paper to a thing that is in code, literally in code and now decode and now encode is built into everything you own. Um, that's a that's like a 10 year cycle. So, um, right. And that's the difference between early Blu-ray players being terrible, you know, because they were doing software H.264 decode, and now you being able to play 1080p video on your phone. Hmm. Um, so apparently uh, HDR um, televisions and video was a big topic of discussion at NAB this year. Oh. Because as... Oh, I mean, that was just last month, right? That was yeah. just yeah. last month, and I mean, we're, we're talking about the pipeline how these things are being recorded and those cameras and being processed. That's all at NAB. Uh, Amazon, I mean, that makes sense. Cause it means that they have to sell new cameras to do that. Cause you need better sensors to do HDR presumably. Right. I don't think so. I think that they were, what they're recording, especially in, in film, or we're not seeing all of it. Or but if you're it, shooting raw, it's, yeah. yeah. So it's a lot of the workflow and in shooting ProRes, I think you get, you get, a, you get more color gamut that you, you can bring out more. Um, Amazon already announced that prime is going to get HDR this year for probably stuff that they're producing for stuff they're producing for what streaming service. For Amazon, Amazon Prime. Instant Video. Yeah, but on what set top box? Uh, I think I'm sure there's stuff will for desktop. It. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, again, desktop. I, th- I think that it's they can change their feeds. Whether or not the device manufacturers, the playback, right, supports it is up to them. Yeah, and but I think just like Netflix is doing 4K, but no one can watch 4K yet. Very few people have the decoding. You know, Amazon can just say we're supporting it. Right, I hear you. And then it's up to wh- whoever so, makes makes the right the right hardware. So there's two other things we haven't talked about. One is that obviously the DRM is going to change, so that all of your existing Blu-ray ripping workflows are going to have to be reworked, and people have to crack the new spec, and, and it'll be harder, just like it has been with every previous generation. Um, well, three things we should talk about whether this whether it even makes sense to do another disc-based format at this point. But it also highlights the difference, the challenge between getting a consortium of companies to work together to make a disc standard versus, say, being Amazon or Apple or one of the one of the set top box providers and one of the, that owns both the hardware and the software as Amazon and Apple do, and Microsoft and Sony to a lesser extent with the PlayStation and the Xbox. Their ability to roll out things like 4K and HDR and all that is literally tied to their ability to get content and their ability to, to have hardware out that runs it. They just have to sign the deals and say, you know, like, like Netflix I, says to David Fincher, make sure you shoot in 5k for next season. Yeah. So we have it. Amazon says to all its people and that's right. Amazon or Sony makes, says to all the Sony pictures films, use our cameras, yeah. use our workflow and Amazon. They're the only ones like Netflix doesn't sell a box. Amazon does sell a box. Bill Gates at the 
introduction of Blu-ray around the same time, he said, this will be the last physical media. Yes. And he thought I, that. I kind of believed him. I believe that he, Blu-ray was the last wide mass market physical media. Yeah. And I think, I think he's right. I think regardless, and we, I would love Ultra HD to be, Blu-ray to be successful because I want to have something that I can rip and have much better quality yeah. than what I have right now or what I can stream. If anything, um, it'll push digital as well because more people will have TVs. But uh, digital, just the convenience of digital oh, yeah. is, is proven. Yep. Well, so, I mean, this to me says that they were this close to 4K on a disc spec says that when, if Apple actually announces a new Apple TV next month, it'll be a 4K box. And when Amazon shows a new Fire TV at the end of this year, that'll also be, those will also be 4K. Rumors are the Apple TV is not 4K. It's just got storage. May not be turned on for 4K, but, you know. I hope so. Yeah, I don't think anybody has H... I don't know what the situation of H.264 decode hardware is now. Like, Apple's Apple's not going to introduce something that's not H.260. Like, they're not going to... I don't think they do 4K without H.265 because the file sizes will be enormous. Right. Um, And they're, they're, like, of the streaming providers, I've always found the Apple stuff to be a little bit better looking. How long has H.265 been in a a finished spec? Two, three years, maybe. Oh, wow. Long enough. Okay. I would think. I don't know. Um, and a lot of the work on the chips usually starts before because they'll they'll work the underlying math out in advance and then finalize the details about con- packaging and all that stuff that happens in software late. Um, the Lily camera. This was interesting. This is a Kickstarter. We got a ton of. I don't I, like my Twitter lit up with it. I don't know if it's kicks. It's just pre-order. It's pre. Well, okay. It's a yeah pre-order for a thing that is going to exist soon. Um, it looks like a drone, a quadcopter-based camera. That is solely for use as a camera. Uh, it's for video, which is different from, for example, and stills. And stills, but video is the big thing, and uh, it is kind of the evolution of. Uh, remember at CES, one of the big things that Intel did with their uh, Edison chip. I want to say it was before I pronounced that wrong. Um, was uh, that small uh, quadcopter that you, that you throw out on stage, like you throw out in front of you and it takes a selfie and it comes back. Yeah. Um, I want to name, name that company. Uh, it is the Edison chip, but it's a uh, Whirlybird was that was the name mm. of that. Uh, the one and, that takes off off your arm. Well, you can wrap it on your arm. You can wrap its arm yeah. like, as like a wristband and you unfold its arms out, throw, toss it in front of you, which as we demonstrated on the podcast. No, that was, uh, on a, that okay. was on, uh, that's something well, you'll see in the you, future. As you can demonstrate right now, uh, quadcopters and the gyros and the sensors built in and the 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 uh, are you that's not charged are you not charged Will okay I'll plug oh, it in wow. and we'll demonstrate um, in like eight minutes you can throw a, a tiny quadcopter you know lightweight one out in front of you and it will stabilize um, without much difficulty so the idea behind that that Intel uh, Whirlybird project or the Whirlybird project using an Intel Edison chip was that you can throw it in front of you and it'll it'll hover. It'll know the distance. It'll take a picture of a camera facing back like towards it was, you. It was doing face tracking and body tracking or something like yeah. that, right? And then, in, 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 or not face tracking, it just knows the distance. It was okay. a very basic project. And then it comes back and you can grab it and you have a uh, you know, free-flying free selfie camera. Uh, they had a marketing video where a guy was mountain climbing and using it. I thought it was pretty compelling. I thought it was, yeah. It's, and a, it, it's, neat a, it's a neat idea. It's a really, really neat idea. Uh, but it seemed terrifying if you're mountain climbing to have the quad fly out. It seemed like a good way to lose a quad. Uh, or, or It's already terrifying. Or your life if you yeah. d- don't like it's not jump off cut to, the ropes. to grab, the, grab the quad. But at least it would be documented. Three limbs for the mountain. <laughs> Just the picture. One limb it for might, you. It might be a blurry picture, though. <laughs> uh, the Lily camera 
is like that, but also then adds a video capability. So the idea is it's a much, it's bigger, so you, it's not something you're gonna wrap around your wrist. It's, uh, I don't know how. how it seemed, it looks it seemed like, like a, backpack size. Like, like, like a two, 200 millimeter. It seemed like bigger than a 250 millimeter racing quad, but smaller than a Phantom or, or a, definitely an Inspire. But you wear like a that. tracking device. Right, right? on like, your wrist. It's like a big um, circular. Also remote control, it seemed like. Is that right? Or like the So the idea is you throw it to deploy, yeah. it hovers, and then maintains distance from you and tracks you and shoots a video of you as you adventure. So, so the videos that they showed were like people in a sea kayak getting footage of them kayaking. It's waterproof. It's, so you that, can throw that, it in the water. That was cool. I saw him throw it in the water in the yeah. video just now. A lot uh, of people said. Um, a lot of people have said that like those brushless motors that are in quads are essentially waterproof if you rinse the salt off immediately, hmm. so they don't corrode. Um, I'm really skeptical about how well this is going to work. I, that's my. That was my initial reaction too. It's just like anything. It, if it doesn't have any um, awareness of the trees or obstacles mm-hmm. around you, yep. it's going to run into things. Yeah. This, so the way you solve for some of that is obviously you as a user have to be careful, and you have to only use it in scenarios where you're going to have the right distance. Yeah. And I imagine that you can configure, like we tried with that uh, Phantom Two Autopilot yeah. uh, app, you can configure the distance, the angle of attack, and uh, the, the rate at which it's updating. But they didn't show any of that stuff in the video. They showed anything that's magic, which, like, this is the thing that annoys me about a lot of the current wave of crowdfunding stuff. Um, well, and even though yeah. this is a pre-order, yeah. they're essentially treating it like a like a crowdfunding campaign as pre-order process. Well, why don't you say, it, this is a problem with s- selling you a product that, taking money from consumers for a product that you haven't demonstrated in, yeah. in actual, like, in, in life. So for me, like, I'm, I'm totally fine metaphysically speaking of, of using Kickstarter and Indiegogo and stuff like that as pre-order systems. Like I totally get that that is a good thing for the companies. I don't, I, I tried, I generally don't participate in that anymore. Um, I like to use Kickstarter and Indiegogo and those things to help things that probably wouldn't exist otherwise exist. So new categories, maybe like really low cost versions of existing category stuff, stuff like that. I, I don't like, well, that's why you got to read the, why it needs the funding. Well, is but, it need funding for R and D? Is it need funding to scale its manufacturing at a lower cost? At some point, it becomes a, a, a mass drop as opposed to a Kickstarter, right? Um, and then these companies, you know, and I'm not saying this company in particular, but a company that uses a early order pre order system uh, that's not actually demonstrating product for a first gen product for a first gen product. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that they're doing it so they can either offer it at a discounted price or Delivered to you faster, it really is not something most people should do. And and yeah, just because it's it's way too risky. Like like if you're looking at say, how, how is it more risky than Kickstarter? It's not. I mean, I'm just saying you shouldn't pre-order stuff that's first gen. Okay. Unless you're doing it because you think that category wouldn't exist otherwise, or, or you shouldn't. So, you shouldn't pay for something as a pre-order sight unseen. Yeah. So for example, I backed that ELO the the electronic arts the the art display. Basically, it's a fancy monitor. Yeah, that's so internet I'm getting mine connected. this month. Yeah, mine's coming too. I'm excited. We're all getting ours this month. Um, You're getting yours this month, Jeremy? I am getting mine this month. I, part I, of that first order. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, Easiest I, 300 bucks I've ever spent. But I literally, I backed that because I looked at it and was like, wow, this is a really cool thing. If it was up to some company to make this, it would literally never happen or it would be shitty. But you understand all the like, technology behind it. And the technology was simple. Yeah, right. With, with this Lily thing, I look at it and there's like 15 points of failure beyond the stuff that we've talked about already. And, you know, anytime somebody says, hey, 
this sound this is this is really easy to use and they're talking about 3d printing or quadcopters or uh, laser cutters or um, <coughs> anything else that has more than has moving parts frankly you, the it becomes very difficult to actually um, to use in the real world and I don't I like the moment this got thrown in the water and then took off I was like well okay that sounds like bullshit to me um, so we'll get one and and test it when have it comes. Have you ordered? I have not yet. Have you? No, because uh, it's five hundred bucks. I figured we should talk to make sure we didn't both pre-order it's by accident. Gonna be a thousand after they launch for retail. Apparently, it'll, it'll, yeah, they, that, they said they're launching next month too, which is uh, that's surprising. Good. That's, well, no, that's, that's good. I mean, so this is one of the things that Chris Anderson talked about at MakerCon is that basically he he said, which I thought was a little self-serving, but he said that the the maker revolution that he came in on is dead. In that you can't get away with doing shitty industrial design on products that are neat and cool anymore um, because people are expecting things that are polished at the level that a pebble steel or pebble time is. And the polish, the the industrial design polish, mm-hmm. I think, betrays the uh, hides the fact that a lot of the software and things that unt- the intangibles, but things that are more directly related to the experience, that's untested for especially for first gen products. Yeah. So so when you're talking about so the thing that's happened is companies that are on a scale like like this and the Pebble, um, like if Pebble were launching today, instead of saying, hey, we have an idea for a thing, we've built some prototypes, and we need money to make the prototypes turn into manufactured products, now somebody takes a prototype and takes it to uh, an angel investor or, or a VC and says, hey, we need $5 million to spend the six months that we will paying industrial des- paying for contract industrial design, hiring industrial designers, and making this into a thing, figuring out how to manufacture it, and then do a pre-order campaign, which is what Pebble essentially did for the Pebble time. Um, did they require a VC for their second watch? I, I don't know if they... T- I'm sure they... they just, I don't know if they've taken funding. I'm sure they yeah. have. I'm sure, I'm sure the, they took funding to fulfill the first one. Lilycam certainly has funding. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or somebody's paying for it out of pocket, but, but it's still, still funded. That's still a risk. I mean, that person, the, the investor, the angel, took a risk. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Kickstarter is great because it proves markets as well as provides funding. And it lets you it lets you connect an early group of of of, uh, of fans or or community to get an early presale and reward those people for being fans early on yes. by giving them a deal. They should just call this Pied Piper. I, I, <laughs> I, I mean, it follows you around. If you do a little chime uh, with it. Here, I want to see this. I, I, like, I want to see this working in the real world, not in a produced video. I want to see. Well, they're I local. See crashes. Let's, let's go. Maybe, I would love to have them, them come by and go fly with or them. Or we'll go. We'll yeah, go, we'll go to, to them. them. Um, did you reach out to them? Yes. Okay. It's cute. It's it, is, little, it has a little smiley face. Anime style uh, eyes. Jeremy, it looks like Jibo. Jeremy. What? Industrial design yeah. hides technical, technical, you know, unpolished. What do you mean? It. Just because it looks cute doesn't mean it's gonna work. Oh, well. I see. I see. Don't be don't be so so <laughs> it's, enamored. It's so friendly. I like it. Um, it's, you're supposed to like it. It's supposed to be friendly and nice. Yep. It's a it's a the the quad for everyone. But it's just a camera. It's not really a quad. Um, well, it is a quad in the sense I, that I, I know, but like it doesn't have remote control. It is not. It doesn't have it two thumbsticks. It's not an RC. That's interesting. It doesn't device. have that at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, Google, uh, if you remember, I guess last year the EU enacted a right to forget law, um, which basically says that if people request, Google has to remove them from their index. 
Um, so the idea is that this is a legislative counter for the Streisand effect, which basically says, you know, if you recall when Barbara Streisand said, hey, I don't want to have pictures of my Malibu house on Google Maps or paparazzi sites from the air. I want to have them removed. Hmm. And then everybody just shared the pictures everywhere so that they were impossible to remove from the Internet ever. Um, Google has received 250,000 requests from the EU on the right to be forgotten stuff and has so far rejected 70% of them as not fitting the legislative requirements. So I just thought that was an interesting factoid. That is. Because the right to be forgotten from Google is interesting, conceptually interesting to me. Do we not have that in the U.S.? We do not have that in the U.S. If once you're in Google, it's up to Google whether they want to remove you or not. Real. Yeah. Or... Rick Santorum is the classic example where, you know, Boing Boing and liberal bloggers made the number one result when you type Santorum into Google a kind of offensive Mm -hmm. term. You know, it's like an urban dictionary type term. Yeah. Um, And and when he was running for president, it was it was that was awkward for him, I would think. Um, And then uh, the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, I think is what that stands for, is a super secret trade bill. Super secret. (laughs) Um, It it is a uh, has to do with copyright law and and free trade between uh, Pacific Rim countries, which include the United States, Canada, Mexico, and then Asian Asian countries as well. Presumably, I don't think we New Zealand and Australia, I think, are also involved. A lot of it is secret, including um, like unbelievably secret to the point that when Barbara Boxer, who is one of our senators in California, went to review the legislation before it went for a fast track vote yesterday or day before yesterday for you guys. She was told by the person who was guarding the documents that she was not allowed to take notes on the documents and leave the room with the notes. That's right. Listen forward said the same thing. It's super. Yeah. You can't bring anything inside. A senator. Like, like when I went to see HoloLens and they took my phone and my laptop and my watch, same thing for this. I said, but you couldn't take notes inside the room and, and walk it, out Yeah, with except it. for I couldn't have, I was allowed to take notes outside, inside the room and walk out with them. She was not so much. Yeah. And the people who have seen it, many of them were lobbyists and executives. Film studio executives and all that. So it's basically secret legislation that impacts how copyright law is going to be impacted, change and evolve over the next 20 years. Um, this is a collaboration between all these nations? Presumably, yeah. But nobody knows. <laughs> right. Because it's all secret. Mm. Um, anyway, the Senate yesterday, uh, Obama was trying to fast track acceptance of the, of the, of the trade agreement um, through a, another bill. I can't remember what that one was called, TPP, TPDA or something like that. And the upshot is that uh, the, the, he wasn't able to get the 60 votes required because most, I think every Democratic senator but one uh, voted against it, hmm. uh, which was which was interesting. So um, just it's something to keep an eye on because it's in the same vein as SOPA and all that. I, I feel like, you know, we live in a free nation and should probably be able to uh, understand the treaties, at least the basics of the treaties that we're agreeing to as a country. But I mean, maybe that makes me a, a strange outlier. Um, I, I at least feel like our elected representatives should understand the the treaties that they're uh, voting that they're for. voting for. Yes. Um, but anyway, thanks for bringing our attention to that. Yeah, pay attention to that. Um, AT and T and Directv deal. So it's not dead. The 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 treaty's not dead. Just the quick let's sneak this through vote didn't didn't pass. So there's going the to be a way to sneak it through was to do it in a way where no amendments could be made. Yes. Well, that's always the way they sneak stuff through. It's, it's, Hey, let's just, let's just look at this. The committees have agreed on this. Let's just let it, let's run this one through. Um, 
Uh, lastly, the AT and this is a short one. The AT and T and uh, purchase of Directv or ATT Directv merger, whatever, uh, has been reviewed. It seems like it's likely to be done with review. Probably going to be pushed through uh, to uh, to be final. So it's been reviewed by the federal government. That process is almost done. It seems like everything's cool with that purchase. I don't know what that means for anyone. Do you know anybody who uses DirecTV still, Norm? Nope. Yeah, me either. Um, and now, uh, time for a brief message from our sponsor. Norm, do you feel like a sentimental interlude or a yacht rocker? Let's do sentimental. Norm? Wow. It's good hey, music, well. right? Yes. Bring it down just, just karaoke, a bit. karaoke music. Uh, today's sponsor is Casper Mattresses. Mm. Uh, they are obsessively engineered American-made mattresses at a shocking price. Yeah, uh, we've been using Casper. Have you received yours? No, not yet. It's coming soon. Well, I received a, a mattress from Casper, and we talked about this before. It is a, uh, it's a combination of memory foam um, on top, on top. Yeah. Um, so it's really soft. It comes. It ships in a box, unfolds out, breathes, and uh, has latex foam, memory foam inside. Yeah, so the latex foam forms the base, um, and it replaces all the traditional coils and springs and all that stuff that's in, a, in an old-school mattress. The memory foam's on top. Uh, is that, you know, a lot of people think memory foam is too hot when you're sleeping. Do you find, it's been hot here in San Francisco for a few weeks. Nope. Well, not last week, but the week no, before, the week saying, before. It's not hot. It's not yeah. too hot. Uh, not too hot, and also, uh, I mean, a mattress is something you should definitely try before you live with it. You should, actually, like, for all things that we test, we encourage you live with something. So, with Casper, you can try it for a hundred days, mm-hmm. uh, risk free, and uh, risk free trial and return. And they'll they'll pick it up, take it out, take it away if you don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I bought a mattress from the internet a few years ago, uh, I didn't have that send that send back option, and it was super scary because I figured once I got it, not only would I have to like figure out how to get it to the dump or to Craigslist or something, but getting rid of it was going to be a big big hassle. So, um, yeah, hundred days free trial. They'll pick it up for you. Um, it's neat. You like sleeping on it. They're, they're shockingly fair prices. It's five hundred bucks for a twin, uh, nine hundred fifty dollars for a king size mattress, and. Uh, you can get it $50 off if you go to casper.com, C-A-S-P-E-R.com slash test and use offer code test. Thanks, Casper, for uh, supporting. This is only a test. And now back to the show. Hey, we're back. We're I, back. Like that, I like that music, though. Ooh, it's it's pretty, dreamy. It's pretty soothing. Next time you should put some ghoulish music. How about uh, like, like uh, something from uh, the Casper, the soundtrack? I don't know. That, uh, that, that. No, you don't like that one? No. What about a little pineapple fast lane? So we got a little chip tunes thing happening there. That's pretty good. This may be the background music for the VR minute, that's, except that's, for it's five that's, minutes and 30 seconds long. That's a bomb defusal music. It is. That is good bomb defusal music. Um, hey, guys, have you ever ordered pizza using nothing more than emoji? How could that be? Domino's. How do you tell them what toppings you want? You, you, you get your favorite poop. pizza. Smelly poop. <laughs> give, me, give me your smelly poop pizza. I mean, if you're getting Domino's pizza, the smelly poop's not that far far away. Either way you look at it. Um, I also worked for Domino's. Really? Delivering or delivering, making? Yeah, delivering. Were you a pizza artist? No, I was deliverer. Uh, were, you, were you in the 30 minutes or less era? Yeah. Yeah, pre-cell phones, too. So, I mean, it was like, wow. you know, we had like a map in the car. Like paper. Like a, some right. sort of peasant. Right. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. I'm still getting the flashy lights here. My Cheerson CX-10A. There it goes. Mm. Did you try throttling up and down? Nope, it's beeping. Oh, man. 
Maybe you set it down. I think maybe it needs to be. Know. I really hope that still works. It's had a few crashes. We, we crashed it pretty good. That's oh, there it goes. Oh, whoa! All right, yes. All right, here we okay. promise this demo. Yeah, here we go. People watching the you video. Gonna, Norm, you want to do Will, the toss? Will's gonna. What, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna toss this nano quad. This fifteen dollar yep. nano quad toward the camera. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> ready? What could possibly go wrong? All right, I'm gonna hold it. Red is here. red is back on this right. one, right? Red yeah. Red is face, okay. You want red facing you? Yeah. Don't. Oh, hold on. You bent the prop. You don't have to. F it can flop around. You just yeah. Toss no, but it if you put there. too much spin on it, sometimes it keeps spinning. Right. You don't want spin. All right. Uh, give, give it a good toss. Don't, three, don't two, underhand one. it. That's like... I whiffed. Yeah. I choked on the acceleration. That's Keep talking. Bad. Oh, my goodness. I, I want credit for this discovery once it, we show that it works. I, yeah. want, I want credit. Because oh. I, I was Did playing around... Break? That wasn't my fault. I was playing around with my Proto X at home, mm -hmm. and they're a little more expensive than this, but I still took the chance, and I just threw it up in the air and then hit the accelerator. And it's, it worked. It's self-uprights. The next step is the Phantom Norm. I the think we should. I'll try that. I'm game. Throw it off the side of a yeah. building. Flip it. Just, just throw it, it up high. Toss it in the air. And then that's the cool thing is you don't, you don't have to worry about if it's upright or not. Make it, sure you have the right prop on. It, I know it uprights itself. Amazing. It's pretty neat. Uh, I want to hear about Domino's. Oh yeah. How I can order pizzas through emoji. I, that's all I got is that you can sign up your you can connect your Twitter account to your um, to your Domino's account and uh -huh. you can order pizzas using emoji. <laughs> That's it. You send the Twitter, you at Domino's with the emoji what for is, pizza. What is the actual proper ASCII emoji for pizza? Like the ASCII sign? I don't, man, I don't have any idea. What's like ASCII open art parentheses. What are you talking about? Like if you wanted to type in ASCII. You can do that? Emoji, I, I'm, I'm wondering. I, I thought it was a new, like its own character. It is, but I'm, I'm saying like what, what would be to draw out a pizza? In like emoticon language? Yes. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Okay, get it up high. Let's try this again. All right, here you, we go. You want me to do it? <laughs> yeah, Jeremy was a better thrower, maybe. Ready? Toward that camera. Yeah. Gotcha. Ready? Whoa. Nice, nice. Oh, oh keep it together. Ah! <laughs> that was terrifying. That was, that was like Terminator <laughs> Rise of the Machines there. You had it. I know. It, it, and, and then, then it was shit. Then you hit the ceiling. It was coming in a little hot. Came in, came in a little hot uh, there. This is, it does, you're trying to, you got performance anxiety. Oh, there you go. You should have done it yourself the whole time. Okay, let's turn that off and go back to the podcast. The audio listeners are really enjoying this this lovely saying. I'm sure, I just yelled in their ears. Um, do we want to talk about self driving driving car crash data? Or somebody need to look at that post more before we get into it. Well, the the, the very very top level idea is that Google has uh, reported some data from its self-driving car How many cars. people have the self-driving cars killed so far? Zero. That's good. How many crashes have they caused so far? I believe two, but not their fault. So then they haven't caused them. Yes. They were involved in them. And so that, that was my uh, next 11 question. minor accidents, light damage, no injuries during the 1.7 million miles of autonomous driving. And, and this is the Priuses no, that we see driving around here yeah. all the time, right? Yes. Uh, the big takeaway is that <laughs> Google, Google has a high standard for the quality of these cars, uh, the, the accuracy of the self-driving cars. Uh, being Using the humans' traffic statistics uh, isn't going to be enough as a benchmark for the general populace. And I think we've talked about this before in terms of like the humans are going to hold the cars to a much higher standard uh, autonomous vehicles to much higher standard than I think they should than, them, they, than themselves than themselves than than uh, than is reasonable. Yeah, um, we expect you know zero accidents 
And in reality, they're, the variables are way too much. Well, who do you blame? You can blame a person if they're driving, but if the right. car's driving, then all cars are responsible. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, we talked about this with Adam on Still Untitled ages ago when we first started seeing the autonomous cars around San Francisco. And like the, the, the challenge for Google and anybody, Tesla and anybody else who's working on cars that behave autonomously, including like the i3 that we test drove a couple months ago, which you know, is capable of, of reading speed limit signs and, you know, stopping when traffic stops and all that stuff is that the, well, the I3 explicitly says, Hey, if you crash into something, if the car crashes into something when it's driving, it's on you, you have to be paying attention. Good. Um, but when you get into self-driving cars and presumably even like the Google ones that may or may not have steering wheels and normal traditional controls, like who's at fault and, and will the public tolerate a car, like what happens in the no win scenario, right? What, how, do, how does the self-driving car face the Kobayashi Maru? If it's in a situation where any action it does is going to hurt someone, how does it decide who lives and who dies? We, and We need measurable metrics initially on how much lives they save. Well, that, that's the other side right? of it, yeah. Because once we have that on one side of the scale, we can then balance it. Yeah. We can balance out the negatives. Why didn't you save the child, robot? Per car. Why don't you save the child? You're talking about iRobot. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the thing is, people aren't rational about stuff like that, right? It's like the normal, it's the nightly news. Seven people were killed in a bus wreck. And everybody's like, oh my God, seven people. That's terrible. But, you know, in reality, in the, yeah. the three seconds we've been talking about this, seven people have died of heart disease or cancer or, you know, any another number of things. When there's seven billion people on the planet, mm-hmm. people are dying of stuff that sucks all the time. And also... I mean, in in the post, Google talked about the things that that caused the most problems for their autonomous cars, and most of it is the unpredictability of other drivers. Uh, predictability of the environment is something you can that you can right. boil down in discrete variables. Well, kind of though, but we drive someplace where there's where it's, there's rarely inclement weather, right? So self driving cars, how do self driving cars handle ice and snow well, and I'm, stuff I'm, like that? I'm not saying that it can. You know, there, or there floods. Are other, I'm saying people. Are the, right now the biggest yeah. problems? Yeah, or probably that's true of both. Yeah, people when, as well. When right? the guy on the motorcycle shot around me on the right as I was in the right turn lane with my right turn signal on, turning right and went straight, and I almost killed him this morning. That was clearly his fault, but I still would have felt bad if I had run him over. Good. Yeah, because you know, human. I I'm super excited about self driving cars. I don't know about you guys. You're but an optimist, man. I I'm very much a futurist when it comes to this thing. I I see a day when. I send the car to go pick up the groceries or, you know, my kids can just get in the car and it can take them to school. You know, I, I want the, I don't want to drive anymore. I just want to be able to use my phone while driving, mm-hmm. have a conversation, watch a movie and just be taken someplace and know that it's a safer experience well, than if I was driving. You want to live in real. Tomorrowland. You're, that's a good segue. You want to, you want to, I mean, would but, you move to the utopia? If I don't if, know anything if, about Tomorrowland, no, no I'm, I'm saying I'm don't t- talk about Tomorrowland. No, no, We're going in cold. I'm, I'm not talking about the movie. I'm saying that if people are the most unstable variables, and if the autonomous car system, at least to start, best worked in a in a in a environment where only autonomous cars were on the road, mm. for example, mm-hmm. I would opt into the lanes, autonomous car only. Area. You would, would you move to that area in a heartbeat? In a heartbeat, to, absolutely to have that. I, we're not going to, there's going to be this transition period of 10 to 20 years and it's going to be hard. Transition is the worst part. Yeah. Cause you have to kind of flip the switch. 
Um, but well, the thing that the thing that I think will happen is you'll look at places where there's a great deal of congestion in a geographically small area, like London's central congestion zone, where you have to pay twenty pounds when you drive in or out, drive in to take your car in with you. And I think we'll see places like that locked down so it's only autonomous cars. Hmm. Because theoretically, I mean, we've all seen that GIF of the cars at the intersection and nobody stops and they just mesh perfectly in between each other going cross traffic the entire time. And it looks yeah. terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like Humans it, do that in Vietnam, you know. Yes, like, but at slower speeds. Right. So um, I, I just think that when we see that, it'll be like that. That will if all of a sudden getting across the London congestion zone takes half the time because everybody's driving autonomous cars, sure, everybody's going to be on board. Which solves any rush hour, anyway. Yeah. And, yeah. and Jeremy, you talk about wanting, you know, dreaming of the future where you can have, you can send a car out to do, you know, to do the groceries for yep. you or you can use your phone in the car. Mm-hmm. That infrastructure exists or is very close to existing right now. It's just that it's people driving those cars. It's, it's the Uber. You're, you're and saying it's the Google, it's the... It's Google, Google Express, Express. Express. Yep. and all of those things are going to be integrated. Wait. The next step for Uber and Lyft and, and all those car sharing services is that they take over delivery. You're saying those people are robots? No, I'm not saying they're robots, but I'm saying that, you know, <sighs> you're, I, I'm saying that you, we're, we're not paying enough for a lot of things that we take for granted right now. I'm sure Uber would love to replace those drivers with robots. It would be much more efficient, and the labor complaints would be, you know, That's right. much easier. Um, I don't know if I'm mentally prepared for driving through intersections at full speed without stopping and weaving in between traffic. <laughs> You're just going to brace yourself every time. I, I think I would have to, I, hopefully by then I'll be old enough that it'll be socially acceptable to wear adult diapers. You'll have your gear VR on and you'll just be watching some t- movie. Or- but I mean, if you can send the car to go get your groceries or send the grocery car to bring them to your house, why even get in the car in the first place? Well, I'm telling you, obviously you're in the car because you're crossing the intersection. Just send your meat space avatar you're- and you'll be <laughs> jacked into the couch with the Soylent feed. Yeah. You know, and, and you just need like three carrots to grind up in with the soil so it tastes like something. You know, that this is the grim future we're all looking at. I hope we see it before we die. If you could have... Peace in our time. <laughs> if you could have a real life avatar, like if you, if you had to choose your so avatar for real life, but instead of like picking a robot that looks like you, you could be anything. Like you could be Gonzo or Big Bird or Han Solo or C-3PO. What would you choose? Boba Fett, <laughs> Spock. I, I could you understand the question? You, okay, so something. So no, I'm, there's no there's no segue here. If you are, if we are living in surrogates world, okay. but in surrogates with Bruce Willis, you, you everybody looks like themselves. I would never got out of the program where I'm just still tweaking the avatar. Right, but like, would you make <laughs> the avatar look that's, like? That's where you spend most of your time in the in would, RPGs anyway. Would you make the avatar look like nineteen year old you? Is it a projection or does it actually physically exist? Either it doesn't matter. Is, it, is, it, is there or a high cost you, of adding you, accessories or yeah, tweaking? Yeah, or you committed you, to? Yeah, commit to microtransactions so you could get like nineteen sixty seven Spock or you know Star Trek twenty ten Spock or you know what? Would you pick something from pop culture? Or would you represent as yourself? And would you change it often or would you stick with one forever? Depends what the cost structure is like. Mm. Okay, so say it's cheap, like buying a buying an Xbox Live avatar. Do those even still exist? Is this a timely reference? <laughs> <laughs> oh. I don't know. I, my mind went to Johnny Five from Short Circuit. That's a good one because I, I I like robots, and that movie was one of my favorites when I was a kid. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. You know, like R two or C three PO would be awesome. I'd do the little drone. You know, the the lightsaber training drone. Just be that. Just be that guy floating around. And here comes Will. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know what would be great? Just shooting people's pew pew. 
is, pew, 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 is pew. bit from Tron. Oh, that's good. Yes. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know, that, that's all you yeah. say to people. That'd be fun. Yeah. You could do like so you could do like you know ER era Clooney. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You yep. go somebody super famous. You could go with something crazy. You could be Captain Kangaroo. Absolutely. Yeah. There you go. Um, is that that's as crazy as you get? No, I, I was going to go with John Lane Gacy, but I pulled back at the last minute. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. Guys. Jesus. <laughs> that went real dark. <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, speaking of John Wayne Gacy, nope. 1990 again. Um, Nintendo World Championships are back. Now, well, it, I don't, explain, what are the Nintendo World Championships? As I understand it, as a, as a subscriber of Nintendo Power in the early days of the NES, the Nintendo World Championships were a marketing event. Uh, designed to uh, find the best Nintendo player in the world. And I think you qualified by like sending in tapes or going to regional competitions or something. And I want to say it finished with a big like stage event in Vegas, maybe at CES. I don't know um, where you played a cartridge of like, that was a subset of Nintendo games of the time so like there were different rounds of the people they brought a bunch of kids in to play and they winnowed them down until there were like three or five kids or something i i very hazy recollections of this. okay no i'm with you but i think that it ended up with like a super mario 3 level which at that point nobody had ever seen um this is the wizard rad racer yeah it's the end of the wizard basically the wizard was super mario 3 introduction it was mario brothers 3 so then maybe it's not that <laughs> i don't think you're thinking of that but it was rad racer was this was this the end of the wizard? The wizard I might be mixing was, up the wizard with oh the Nintendo World Championships. Wait, was there only one World Championship before? I think they only did one. Oh, and it resulted in one of the most collectible NES cartridges because the they made like five golden NES cartridges. I'm going to look this up so we don't fuck it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. The, People are already screaming at their oh radios. Oh my goodness! <laughs> There's a Wikipedia page, of course. So yes, there was Super Mario Brothers in that a version, original of Super Mario Brothers. I love that when we talk about ordering pizza through Twitter, who cares about the details? Well, look it up yourselves. But when it comes to Nintendo history, of course, this has to get. Oh, those, be, okay, so here's the thing. It was a custom cartridge cartridge for the NES that featured three games, Super Mario Brothers, Rad Racer and Tetris. I was right about Rad Racer. Um, you had to complete and score points in a timeline of six minutes and 21 seconds. Um, and the competition was based loosely on the movie The Wizard. What the hell is Rad Racer? You never played Rad Racer? It looks like uh, Outrun. It, it's a. It looks a lot like Outrun. Yes. Huh. It was a rad game that was about <laughs> racing. Um. It came with um 3D glasses. That's awesome. It came with yeah. red and blue. Oh uh, yeah. They yeah. did that. They were. I want to say it's like Space Harrier or something like that for Anaglyph. the Sega Master that's System. The, did the same thing. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. So. Um, there were three separate age groups, 11 and under, 12 to 17 and 18 and over. City contests were held all over the weekend and began on Friday afternoon and ended on Sunday night. Uh, players qualified for semifinals over two rounds, and you had to score at least 175,000 points in the pods area. Um, so the upshot is these games, the cartridges that they made to run these games became incredibly collectible because I think they gave them to the finalists, the people who came to wherever the tournament was. Hmm. Um, and the winner, um, winners were Jeff Hansen in the 11 and under category. Thor Ockerland won the 12, 17 category and Robert Whiteman won in the 18 or older category. Um, it's, it's cooler when it's 11 and under top winner took $10,000, the U S savings bond. That was a lot back then. It's still a lot. 
That's like that's the, what the winner, the world champion uh, pinball player. Back gets. then, you could buy a house today though, with ten grand. Yeah. So, so the, the point is that Nintendo announced a revival for E3 oh, this yes. year's E3 and a car. Oh, you want a car? Yeah, you want a Geo Metro convertible and a forty-inch projection TV. You okay, could, you could win good. more with Nintendo Power Magazine. But now you're playing with power? The, the, the monthly sweepstakes. That's awesome. Um, but anyway, this year's E3, um, there will be uh, preliminaries at Best Buy locations this month and a championship, which I guess they were kind of adopting. I mean, yes, they did do this, the Nintendo World Championships back then, but Penny Arcade has kind of co-opted that idea with, uh, the, with, with the, the Omegathon. Omegathon, yeah. Hmm. I mean, but the Omegathon is obviously not just Nintendo stuff. I think the Omegathon exists because of the Nintendo World Championship. That's what I'm saying. Right? Yeah. And, and they've done better with it. Yeah. I mean, they do like, they do all sorts of wacky stuff too, like have a Bananagrams round or something like that. So unless Nintendo uh, makes a special cartridge or a special release for this. You mean a special disc? A special disc for this championship. I'm not really that interested. They're just going to be playing Nintendo Remix 2. Wait, this is going to happen very quickly. Yeah, yeah, next month. So we could yes. be, Norm and I could go. May 30th, you can go to Best Buy and try out, I guess. Saturday, yeah. Yeah. But two weeks later, the final's in L.A. Well, it turns out airplanes can get you pretty much anywhere in the world to L.A. <laughs> yeah, but there's no planning there. You just got to Exa- do it. There's exactly. If, if you make it, if you have the skills to make it, the, honestly, the best part of this thing was the video where Reggie's in like a staff meeting with a few people. And then he says, hey, guys, we need a new champion. No, no, no. <laughs> it's great. He says two things. One, I want to bring back the Nintendo World Championships. It's going to happen in E3 next month. And then he says, and I want to compete. And they say, you can't compete. You're part of the company. So he says, OK, I quit. And we're bringing in this kid to run the company now. And then there's a montage of Reggie training for the Nintendo World Championships where he's like doing uh-huh. curls with game cubes and, and he's playing the virtual boy and all this stuff. So presumably they're going to go through all of Nintendo's history. And pull such classics as Mario Tennis on the Virtual Boy uh, so that people have to compete in a wide variety of games. Any word on what games will be in play? I bet that they play Nintendo NES Remix at Best Buy. That's a good idea. To qualify. I like that. And then go forward from there. I don't know, though. We'll see. You got to try this. You got to go. I don't think we have the skills. May 30th. We're too old. There's There's not a 40 and over category, which is what I would need to compete in. The wizard. The older you get, the less capable you are of beating a 15-year-old. That's true. Yeah. I mean, it's like Dota. I can't play Dota. I'm too old for that what shit. What if it's Mario Kart? I'm, I'm ter- I'm, while I am the best person I know at Mario Kart, <laughs> I am a big fish in a very small pond. Can you win 200cc races? Yes. Wow. That's good. I don't think I've even unlocked 200cc. Do you pay to unlock 200cc? It's, it's part of the new update, but don't you still have to play through the other... Well, CCs? I had already done all yeah, that, so I, I, don't, I haven't done that. Yeah, we have... I think we have gold stars in everything except for the one with the tracks that we don't like. Um, and then the two new ones. So, anyway. That sounds fun. Um, yeah, 2015 E3. Uh, I'm excited to see how this is going to go. I think it's going to be a wonderful disaster. Norm, you put Tomorrowland on the list. Oh, I don't want to talk about the movie because we don't want to spoil it. But I want. Have you seen it? No, I haven't seen oh, it. Oh, it's out next week, right? It is out next week. I'm su- Are I'm, you excited? I'm very excited. It looks lovely. It looks. I mean, it's a Brad Bird film. As far as I'm concerned, Brad Bird can do no wrong. He's two for two right now on three for three on films because Iron Giant, The Incredibles, and uh, Ratatouille. He did Ratatouille too. Yes, he four t- for four. He took it on over. Films. Oh, yeah. 
I think Ratatouille is. Have you watched? Did you, Norm, you didn't like Ratatouille, right? I would have loved every single Pixar film I've seen, except I, for Cars Two. I've I, never seen Cars Two. Never saw Cars One. Ah, uh, oh, weird. Did you see Monsters U, uh, University? Yep. I thought that was great. Uh, I didn't like Ratatouille as much. What? I, I mean, you know, th- I got problems with it. It's no Incredibles for one. As soon, if you, you go in and watch well, a movie from the makers of The Incredibles, your expectations are going to be pretty. But ha- I mean, that's high. like saying, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, The Avengers was crap because it's not Citizen Kane. Uh, no, The Avengers Ultron was not as good as Avengers One. Well, that's a topic for a different podcast. But, but that's what I'm saying. So Ratatouille had that reaction to it. I didn't understand what the girl's role was whatsoever. Like the. Uh, the uh, romantic interest, Linguini's romantic interest. Yeah, yeah. I, I, she was just a strange one-dimensional character. I don't know. I got problems with it. She was the antagonist that became the 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 protagonist's friend. I don't know. I I don't want to talk about it. I like Ratatouille, <laughs> but Tomorrowland. But I'm excited, excited about. Tomorrowland. I'm yeah. very excited about it. I saw a new trailer for it ahead of the Avengers that spoiled a little bit for me. I was pissed about that. I saw too. Uh, I thought I thought and that, it gave away yeah. a little bit that I didn't want to know. You chose to watch. You can't close your in an IMAX theater. You're going to hear it no matter what. No, 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 no. You close your eyes and la la la. I have done that. I was sitting by myself with with <laughs> strangers on either side. I'm comfortable doing that with <laughs> no, people I know on one side, but not the other. But uh, strangers on both sides was maybe a bit much. Uh, it looks good. Excuse me. Can you can you hold my ears? One thing from the trailer so I, I was surprised this. by was. Hey, can you nudge me when I can open my eyes again? <laughs> um, she bumps her head. You know, when she's in the the Tomorrowland, yeah. she she walks and bumps her head on a wall in the real world. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. That I didn't know. I thought that there were no like the boundaries became whatever world you were no, in. No, because there's one scene in the trailer where she's riding in her, the car with presumably her dad. Oh, and she's hovering, and then she's hovering. That's true. Yeah, I want I want to um, I want to make bootleg versions of those Tomorrowland medallions. Pins? Are they pins? They're pins. It's Disney Disney pins. Oh right, that's a whole business. For nice them. call. Um. What do you say we uh, talk about things we've been testing? Connected LED light bulbs. Uh, Just yesterday, we published a video we shot a little while ago. Yes. uh, About LED light bulbs and the smart home. I have tested a lot of LED light bulbs, Uh, uh, both straight normal ones, uh, you know, dumb light bulbs, and then also... Uh, bulbs that connect to your smart home uh, hub, whether it's Wink or Smart Things or whatever, via Z-Wave and Zigbee. Um, and there are definitely good bulbs and bad bulbs. So I think my favorites out of all the ones that we tested, although they are extraordinarily expensive, are the Philips Hue bulbs. The light that they produce is really lovely. It's a nice, warm, kind of, you know, like 5400, 2900K. I can't remember what it was. It was in the video. But you don't use the colored ones. You use the white ones. I have some of the colored ones, but I use them exclusively as white bulbs. Oh, so the white of the colored ones is also very nice. You can can get get it to where you want it. But the colored ones are way more expensive. 60 bucks, right? Something like that per bulb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super expensive. The the but the, the and, I, yeah, and I too I have you have the color the, bulbs. I, yeah. I don't use the color. You, well, the problem I have is that the smart things doesn't let you uh, access the color programmatically. So like I wouldn't mind having like if the fire alarm goes off the lights start flashing red. I think that would be <laughs> fucking awesome. Alexa, turn wah, off the office lights. Wah. I want klaxons, right? Yeah. Wah, 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 As if your wah. daughter your daughter won't be scared enough. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have smart bulbs in her room. Because the price of failure on that is so high. Like, if if our lights come on accidentally because, you know, somebody walks into the front yard or something, 
Gina and I will go right back to sleep. If her lights go on, we're all going to be awake all night. So <laughs> no smart things in her room. Um, I tested uh, of the of the other. So the Hue Lux bulbs are there are their white only bulbs and they basically have dimmers. I, I feel like you can adjust the color temperature a little bit, but my hub doesn't let you do that. So I don't, I don't like I did that when I tested them. We shot that video maybe two months ago now. So it's been, it's not front of mind. Um, they're really nice bulbs. You have to have a separate hub, which is good if you don't have any smart home stuff, but kind of bad if you do, because that means you have two things that are plugged in all the time instead of just one. Um, and you can't really address them individually. Although some people have figured out how to do that with smart things since it's kind of open. Uh, and now like, it, it, but it's a hinky and not, it's, it's a, it is a bachelor level of workable, not a people, family and kids level of workable. Um, the bulbs that I tested recently are the Hue Lux, which is the, like I said, the white only version of the Hue. They're more expensive than most smart connected bulbs. But the light that they produce is really nice, and they have a nice even. Uh, it's a it's a relatively spherical uh, sphere cone of light, basically. Um, the other ones I tested were the GE Link bulbs, which you can get at Best Buy at Home Depot rather for like fifteen dollars now, twenty bucks, which is maybe a five dollar premium over their normal LED bulbs. Um, they're a mess. They're not good. The the light that they produce is really harsh. They don't have any kind of diffuser over the over the the element. So you're they look really cool. They have a clear dome around them and they look super futury and awesome. But the light that they produce I found was bad enough that I made it like the back porch light. So it's the one that turns on when I go take the dog out to crap at night. Um, and then the ones that I liked best for like value to light are the Cree connected LED bulbs. Um, those are fabulous. They're they're really good. They're in the same price range as the G Link bulbs. You can get them at Home Depot, um, which is nice because you know if you're replacing like my 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 move on replacing bulbs with expensive light bulbs is to every time I go to Home Depot, I just buy a couple of bulbs until everything in the house has been replaced, um, and that's been working. That's worked really well. So, um, and the nice thing about the smart bulbs versus using say an outlet box for uh, that you plug a lamp or something into is that the smart bulbs, if you turn the switch on the on the lamp on and off so through it, two full cycles of the switch at minimum, then it'll turn on even if you don't want to have to fool with your phone or something like that. So if you put, say, a box that has a relay in between the power, the, the socket, the wall socket and your lamp, when that switch, when that relay's off, there's nothing that'll nothing changes the whether that light's going to turn on or off other than using your phone or hitting the button on the box when you have the smart bulb it can it can detect oh power cycle i should probably turn on when it comes back on which is really handy um we tested some other home connected home stuff smart uh, lock yeah the yale smart lock um i'm my general feeling on the smart home stuff and locks is that while that worked really well and seemed safe um i don't trust the security of the things like the smart things hub and the wink hub and, and their cloud services enough to put the actual lock of my house uh, in control that which is completely irrational because like the the Yale lock that I have on my house right now is you know it takes five minutes for anybody who has basic lock picking skills to open it mm. what's your address uh, it's it's uh, <laughs> same as yours oh. um, no I mean but everybody's home locks for the most part are easy to easy to open locks right they're deterrent not a not actual security there's no un, unpickable locks at this point or unbreakable or unbreakable locks um 
You know, part of the Apple Watch section of the store, they have featured an alarm.com app. Mm-hmm. looks pretty amazing. I mean, if you're willing to buy in all that stuff, you can unlock your doors, check live video feeds, open mm-hmm. garages, control your thermostat. So SmartThings has uh, Apple Watch capability now, too. Um, you can change modes, so you can make it go from home to away or arrived and all that stuff. Okay. Which, if you have locks set up and you have it set up properly, will unlock your doors or open your garage door or whatever. Um, like I said, I'm I'm into having lights be smart, not so much having the doors I know. be smart. I know. I hear you. Um, although, I was at a friend's house and needed to get something from their garage a few weeks ago, and he had his garage door on a remote relay, and I was able to go into his garage even though he was across the country. So, like, there's pros and cons. Um, if you live in that utopia, yeah. it's called Tomorrowland, <laughs> yeah. then it comes with standard in all the houses. Wish I lived in Tomorrowland. Wouldn't be all these cables around here. Remember everywhere. the future. Um, the other thing uh, the other thing we had, uh, we tested, was the Harmony Ultimate Home, which is their, it's the same hardware, basically, as their Harmony Ultimate from a couple of years ago with the hub that basically is has IR blasters, um, and then the remote c- connects to the hub VRF. Uh, and it's app app capability and all that stuff. I, when I initially started testing it, it was so bad that I had to stop using it. The software was janky. The remote was crashing all the time. Things weren't working. Um, so we, we uh, literally on the podcast last year, I think I said, don't buy this. Um, I came back and revisited it a few months ago, and they've improved the software a ton. Uh, it does. It's neat because it will control the smart thing stuff, but it doesn't work the other way. So like you can't control... I, like. For example, when I put the house into bedtime mode, which means everybody's going to sleep and we want everything to be off, it won't let me, even though the smart things and the harmony talk to each other, the smart things can't tell the harmony to turn everything off, mm-hmm. which is a bummer. However, when I put that, the harmony, when I go to the harmony and go to the activity that's watch movie, I hit the button, the lights in the living room dim, the backlight behind the TV comes on, um, all the other lights in the house turn off and that, that stuff's really nice. Um, I don't think it's worth the massive premium that that remote costs. Although if you have an existing Harmony Ultimate, you can pay like 15 bucks and get a, the software update that adds all that stuff. Hmm. So It's about 300, 350 bucks. It's a $380 MSRP that I think you can usually get for about 250 on, on street price. It was the last time I looked. For the home? For the Harmony Ultimate home. It's yeah. 350 on Amazon. Is it 350 my, my point is you can get the older version and then upgrade the software. Right, right. Um, so yeah, that's that's that stuff. Um, Spark Fun took apart which LED bulbs did they take apart? They did not did connected see? bulbs, and they did uh, three bulbs, uh, just LED two bulbs, from Philips, and a generic one, a TCP one, LED bulbs. And the question is, how can LED bulbs get to a point where they're basically two dollars and fifty cents for an LED bulb? What do you lose? And a lot of it is just non dimmability and cheaper materials. Uh, but it's a it's a race to the bottom. This was the was the the upshot. Really. Um, and the fact that you can get in quantity LED bulbs for $2.50, it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a 60 watt equivalent. Did they look at power cons- consumption for those? Because the power consumption of the LED bulbs varies quite a bit. That's what they didn't look at. No power consumption. Did not look at uh, also uh, n- uh, signal noise. Okay. Uh, some people have noticed that LED bulbs uh, could have RF interference. I have some early Cree bulbs that are mostly compatible. So the Cree bulbs I like because they're supposed to be compatible with anything that incandescent is compatible with. Hmm. But I have some incandescent dimmers that they just don't like, and I've had to had to um, swap them out. Um, 
That's interesting. It's an interesting problem to solve because LEDs don't dim the same way as incandescents in any way, shape, or form. It has nothing to do with amount of voltage. No. It has to do with pulse width. Right. So the so there's two problems. One is that you have to dump a lot of extra current when you're doing LED bulbs, which usually happens on the switch side. Um, and then the other the other problem is that any kind of noise in the signal makes the PWMs waver because the microcontroller or whatever in the bulb is, right. gets wacky. Hmm. Um, the upshot is that, it, that every 10 or 15 minutes, the lights in my kitchen flicker just a tiny bit, mm-hmm. which, which is the kind of thing that if you're in the room and looking at stuff, you don't even notice, but if you catch it out of the corner of your eye, glitch in the matrix. it triggers your fight or flight. Cause you're like, bears coming to get me or something. So, um, <laughs> Earthquake. exactly. Um, so I think that's all the stuff we talked about in that video, isn't it? Yep. Um, you have been testing something new and exciting. Well, it's definitely, it's, it's kind of new. Definitely exciting. Uh, it's the new Gear VR for Samsung Galaxy S6. Dun, dun, dun. Is this the Gear VR 2? The no, Deuce? They do not call it the Gear VR 2. Do they call it the Deuce? Uh, nope. It's still Innovator Edition. <laughs> I wish they called it the Deuce. Gear VR Innovator Edition. Innovator so Edition. they sell two Gear VR hardware SKUs now? Yes. One okay. for the Note 4, which has been massively discounted, and one for the Galaxy S6. They are very, very similar. Uh, do, they, do, they, do you buy them on the same page and you select which phone you have? They have two landing pages. Okay. Actually, I think if you go to the Samsung website and Gear VR tab, it still shows the one for the Note 4 primarily. Okay. Uh, so this is literally just out. Um, differences has USB pass-through for power to charge your phone while you can use it. There is a small fan on the left side, not for cooling the phone, but it blows through to cool the lenses to defog them. Oh, that's nice. Which works to varying degrees. Works for me, actually. And is I it just, loud? It is not loud. You can't okay. hear it at all. Many people actually think that it doesn't work. Do you feel it you on your face? You can't, can't feel it. Okay. It's you very can subtle. hear it. Super subtle. All it is is for defogging. Is it blowing between your face and the lens or between the lens and the camera? I th- it must be bef- between the face and the lens because that's where it fogs up. Uh, but you can't feel airflow. Okay. You can't feel current. Um and Does it still have the focusing stuff like the original Gear VR had? So it's the same focus system on the top. So you don't uh, have to wear dial. your glasses inside. So you don't have to wear your glasses. My glasses do fit, but I don't wear them. Uh, they changed the touchpad very slightly, adding a little nub so you can center, see where the center point is. Oh, that's nice. And then because the Galaxy S6 is a 5.1-inch phone and not f- uh, 5.7, like the Note 4, uh, your field of view is reduced. How badly is it reduced? Uh, make, this, make the cups around your hands, Norm. There, 90, about ninety degrees. Oh, that's is it. Does it feel constrained? If, uh, absolutely. Uh, if you are looking for it, you you will feel constrained. You let me use it before the show. I. It, it's still a successful VR, right? It still feels like you're immersed, but it's a noticeably constra- um, more constrained FOV. Is it like? Um, what do you want? This wiping cloth. Wiping cloth. Sorry. Thank you. Don't look at the light. Well, don't look at the light. Is that, it, tr- is that true? Is yeah, that bad? It will, you're not supposed to look at Will the is looking, burn my retinas looking out? through it with a phone not in. Yeah. For audio listeners, I guess. Everybody else got a terrifying glimpse of my enormous eyes. Um, what do you think so far? Uh, it's, it's good. I'm, I've actually stopped using the top strap, the head strap. I think just the using, cup? Yeah. Uh, I think just using um, the strap around the back of the head works. Ergonomically, it's exactly, almost exactly the same. It's not even that much lighter or thinner smaller form factor than the first Gear VR Innovator Edition. It's the um, same resolution as the Note 4? Same resolution, 2560 by So even though it's a smaller FOV, it's more dense, right? It's, it's more dense. So, so it is sharper in a way. Yeah, it is the sharpest uh, VR experience you can have in the home right now. Hmm. I was impressed. 
tell them about the movie you shot. Um, so an interesting thing with the, 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 uh, galaxy S six is that the camera on it has a wider focal length than the note four. The note four has about a 31 millimeter equivalent focal length and the galaxy S six has 28 millimeters. Explain that in normal human words. That means when you take a picture with a note four, um, and compare it to one of the notes uh, with the galaxy S six, the photo on the galaxy S six will be a little wider. You will get more in that shot with the cameras placed side by side. What that means, though, is in the Gear VR, when you run the pass-through option, camera pass-through, which means you are then seeing video as it is passed through the front of the camera, uh, it feels fills up more of your field of view, uh, which is nice. Still not something I would want to walk around with at all. It is more of a, yeah. if you're in VR and playing a game and you need to look at something, you can without taking off the headset. Okay. Um, but it also means that when you shoot video with a Galaxy S6, 1080p video, and then play it in the Oculus, Oculus Cinema, it basically plays that video as if it is the pass-through. You have the same field of view. So if you hold the camera up... From the dis- default position in the theater. Yes. Yeah. So uh, the cinema theater, right. which, which the different various virtual theaters have different sizes. So if you hold the Galaxy S6 up to where your eyes are mm-hmm. and shoot a video of something from a first-person perspective, standing up, and then put, import that video and, and view it back in Oculus Cinema, it will be a really good experience. It's just such cool. a more, much more compelling way to view videos that you shoot on the device. Like on your phone. Like, I've never, yeah. I've never watched a movie that I've shot on the device and then rewatched it in VR. It, it was a really interesting moment when I watched that video because... Yeah, so I shot this video when I was at Disneyland, an evening video of the uh, Disneyland fireworks. Yeah. And... You so, could you could watch that on your phone. You could, and I and I have watched my phone. That's fine. And you know, like like other videos I've shot with smartphones, I've viewed them on a phone or my laptop or my computer monitor or a window maybe. on YouTube, for example. Mm-hmm. Right, things I've uploaded to YouTube and windowed. It is it's nice, but it still feels like here's an, uh, a pocket encapsulated exactly memory. Yeah, when you view it in the Oculus Cinema. And even though virtual, you're sitting down, the, the, the illusion of that screen filling up most of your field of view changes how you experience that video. Mm-hmm. And it's not just video. And, and yes, like it's technically the same videos that you, like you, uh, mid video you download, right? Like a movie or TV show you put in Oculus Cinema. Mm-hmm. But when it's video you shoot yourself, mm-hmm. it changes the way you perceive that memory. And it's a much stronger connection. Yeah. Interesting. It was. Um, so you'll, you're going to continue testing that, and we'll yeah. do a, an in-depth in a few weeks, I'm sure. Yep. And uh, Can we uh, capture off of it? That's what I, the next thing I was going to say. As long as it, uh, because there's power, path, power pass-through, uh-huh. uh, and we had success with the uh, Chromecast, uh, and we'll try it. Or uh, the Miracast. The Miracast. Yeah. Um, then we'll see if we can capture and maybe do some VR apps of the day, apps of the weeks. I wonder if, and the problem we had last time, I think, was that the phone was overheating. So maybe we can dangle a 12 centimeter fan off the front of it or something. I think we'll probably need to do that. Yeah. Because the phone, it's get very hot. Um, I, I've continued using the Ergodox. Have you used yours yet, Norm? No, I need to set the software and do the final. Oh, do final, the final firmware? Yes. And. Yes, exactly. The Teensy's a little a little finicky on getting firmware loaded. I've found is you you have more Teensy experience Which than I do. Which Teensy did you use? The Teensy two, I think. I never used that. Oh. I, the three is completely different architecture. Yeah, I know. We well, we we went with two um, because that's what the board was designed for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And the pinouts. I think the pinouts are still compatible from the two to the three, but I don't have to write new firmware. Um, Maybe. Anyway, um, I've been typing. I fa- I realized that we had home keys that we'd put in the wrong places for that keyboard. So there's a couple of keys uh, that are for the main keyboard Studio set. So not out yet. Oh, I know, I know. Um, but we had, when we assembled it, I put the home keys in the wrong places. I just put them in randomly. Moving them helped me type much better. Adjusting to the columnar layout is still brutal. So instead of having like the bottom row of the keyboard staggered like you're used to, C is below D. And since I've always used my F finger to hit type C by coming back and under, I, I've had to learn to switch to my middle finger to type C by coming straight down off of F, which is a fairly significant challenge. But it's, it's getting faster. And now I'm starting to type the correct way, even on a staggered keyboard like on my laptop. Oh, well, so. that's, that's good. Yeah, I never took Mavis Beacon, so I, I guess... Um, Mavis Beacon. What is... Mavis? Mavis. Mavis. What was that zombies typing game? Typing of the Dead. Yeah. That's a great game. Dreamcast. Mario teaches typing. Mario Mario doesn't teach typing. <laughs> Crazy. Um, you want to do an... Uh, I haven't... I don't have any updates on the HP Spectre. Have you been testing that? No, I don't have one. Okay. I, yeah. I, I, um, I, yeah, it's been sitting on my desk at, at home. Uh, the, I love it. It's pretty good as a laptop so far. I, the tablet stuff is still super weird, and the way it joins together is, is not awesome. Um, I'm hoping that there's a software update for it to fix the trackpad problem, because the problem I'm having right now is that when you use it as a tablet, the trackpad keeps turning on, and it wigs out when you do that. So Give up on using it as a tablet. I just wanted to know how You want to know how it's a laptop? It's a laptop. Okay. I'll, I'll check in for, it for next week. Um, you want to do some Apple? Uh, did you see the Apple Watch ads, Jeremy? I don't think I've seen the Apple Watch ads. There's a new Apple Watch ad. It's about a minute long, and you can run on YouTube, and it is in your very standard Apple ad style. Uh, evoking, a, trying to evoke a lot of emotion out of you, showing the Apple Watch mm. being used in in, in relationships, interesting, uh, telling stories, sending heartbeats, Ex- exactly, sending heartbeats. And one of the things I notice is uh, in the ad, some of the things that people do aren't actually things you can do with what? the watch. For example, false for example, advertising, sending the message, and then someone glancing, sending the taps, mm-hmm. and then. Immediately, the person getting the taps. <gasps> they show that. They show that. Maybe so, that's a setting then. Or, oh, right. That's interesting. Uh, uh, hold on. Have you friended me? Yes. Are we? You're on my favorites list. I'm, you're on my dial. Send me. Send me some taps, okay. bro. Tap me right, out. Right on. Let's see here. You are right there. Gina hasn't gotten her phone yet, so the only people I can tap watch. with are, or watch. Yeah, the only people I can tap or heartbeat with are Jeremy and your girlfriend, which is super awkward. Oh wait, no, no, no. okay. I this is bad. What? No, this is bad. My watch uh, had a glitch where I couldn't add Apple Pay. We're not really friends, are we? Three days in, we're not mutual. I said, hey, I know how to fix that. I used to do AOL tech support. <laughs> Reboot the watch. Uh huh. I rebooted it. It thought it was a new watch. You had to do the whole setup it thing lost, again? It lost everything. All my how, how to set up your Apple Watch in 16 easy steps. It was so annoying. So we're not friends, huh? That's stored on the app side, you know. <laughs> no, no, no. I couldn't restore. It's fine. All right, it's so okay. You get, hold on. I'll, I'll work it out. I smashed the Duke 2.0 last week. One Did of, I tell you this? No, right after the podcast? Did you get another Duke? I got another. I'm your now. third? You're joking. No. I, I had a one in a million drop. That's why you're. In I got case. a case. That's why I've I've going through. I've been through a series of cases. I keep buying and returning. They're Apple all Pay? terrible. Thank goodness I have not uh, Apple Pay. Apple Care. Apple Care. Because for... it's it's but it's only a so. The nice thing is I realized when I replaced the first phone for eighty dollars, is that the Apple Pay only pays for itself if you smash it twice. 
because you get two two replacements at eighty dollars. <laughs> You've beaten the system. And yeah, I've ha- totally won. <laughs> um, and, and it's taught you to buy a case. Well, here's the thing. So careless. It's a hundred and twenty nine dollars if you don't have Apple Pay. So if you uh, Apple Apple Care. So if you only just to replace just the, to replace the screen on the six plus. That's not bad at all. No, no. So if I'd known that, I wouldn't have bought Apple Care. I would have just gone and said, "Hey, replace my screen." You, um, you have been tapped, and and friended. Waiting. I haven't gotten waiting. anything yet. Waiting. You don't see waiting in the commercial, do you? No. They're in the same room. <laughs> One person is tapping. Oh, Jeremy tapped me. I felt the taps without having to say anything. God, I can double tap. You got all four taps? I got, I got, I got taps. Yeah. All right, there you go. I'm going to send you some do you heartbeats. Feel it? No. See, I have to double tap. To I, just, I just got them again when I opened but, up. So you don't thing. feel it? No, I felt them. It said Jeremy no, tapped I'm me. Asking, Jeremy I had the tap. I had the tap, tap in to get you. So uh, to clarify for people who are Maybe listening and, and pulling their hair hair out, the f- <laughs> one of the some some of the frustration that both Jeremy and Will are feeling with the Apple Watch surprise is that uh, one of the more compelling features theoretically was the ability to send taps and 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 communicate to someone passively. So they if someone else is wearing some of your contacts and your favorites is wearing an Apple Watch and you are too, you can. You can nudge them. You can Facebook poke them. Yeah. You, Apple poke them. You can just uh, tap. Their wrist uh, to get their attention. I'm tapping your girlfriend right now. <laughs> awesome. Um, so, but Jeremy, that didn't come the out frustration quite right. is that Jeremy, when receiving Will's taps and drawings and heartbeat, had to basically accept them on the phone, on the watch, before being able to, to well, feel it, it. It does a little beep, beep, and then you have to tap it. Frowny face. Which defeats the purpose of tapping for the sake of tapping. Did it just appear for you? So when, when you send something now yeah. that we're both mutual friends and we like each other and it's confirmed, yep. you, instead of getting the, hey, somebody sent you a thing, do you want to look at it, click view or dismiss, it says, Jeremy sent you a sketch, and you just tap. Yes. But it gives you a, it gives you a notification to let you know to look up. Yes. And then it's basically one tap to fire the sketch, so you right. don't miss it, right, I presume. But what Jeremy is saying is for the, for the actual well, sending taps w- between each other. What Will wants as well is we want to be able to tap indiscriminately. I want taps to come through yep. without having to authorize the... Yes. Okay, the, so the I just receiving. sent a pattern. It's like f- five slow taps and then four really fast ones. When it comes... I want to know if you feel that or you just feel a normal notification. Oh, my God. We're is... doing live testing here. This is this is how you figure stuff out. Oh, I got it. No, no, no. I got so it. So, see, that that works the way I expected the it tap. to. So, yeah. it does do that. Okay. Okay, that's good. Yes. And but... then you can replay it by tapping here, and it'll play it again or, with the dots. Or double tap to respond. Yeah. That's interesting. I've never double tapped before. Well, you didn't have that option before because we weren't mutual friends before. That's interesting. This is I just so got stupid. something back from you. Okay, but here's the thing that I wondered. If they're showing ads where they're showing... My takeaway after three weeks with the Apple Watch now is that it's really great at all the shit that the Pebble does well. Notifications, telling time, that's pretty much it, right? The stuff that you want out of this, like the the quick access to information via glances, the ability to load third-party apps and access my data in all sorts of new and innovative ways is all terrible. All of the app stuff is just slow to the point of unusability. Literally, I was showing somebody the watch yesterday. I was I was a five minute walk from outside, and in the time it took the weather app to load the data, which I don't, th- it probably still hasn't finished. I could have literally stood up, walked five minutes out to the outside, looked up to see what the weather was, and then walked back and told them ah, faster so than using the Apple. So yes, Schnelled. What was yeah the same thing they got in trouble hey, for Siri. on that. What's the weather like? Is it raining? Was that the Zoe Deschanel problem? I thought that was before her. 
Remember C- Siri? Who's that one? It was the Siri. Yeah. As someone who's new to smartwatches and has Smarches, a pe- have a, has a Pebble on order, but they won't ship it. I like the notifications on your wrist aspect. I know everyone kind of downplayed that. As, That's the good part. Who needs that? Well, I like that part. I, I use my. I have lost my phone multiple times because I'm using my watch exclusively. Mm-hmm. I also like the glance that is this controller where I can find my phone. That one's really useful. And and turn off the sound and also the media player. So uh-huh. that, that's where I spend all my time in glances. Well, those things are native too. That's worth mentioning. So the, that one, the battery level one, yeah. and the and the and it's presumably most of the Apple stuff that isn't weather are all native rather than mm-hmm. the streamed over apps. Yeah. I do agree with you. The apps are annoying how long they take to load. Uh, I, I'm not using too many of those, though, to be honest with you. I'm I'm really interested to see what comes with WWDC. I want to know if they're going to do another point release of iOS and and give native apps before iOS nine comes out in the fall. Um, it, it, the thing the thing somebody pointed out to me yesterday is that this is very analogous to the pre what was it iOS five release with the at, between the time the iPad came out and they released the next version of iOS so that it, there was actually like native support for I, iPad right beyond just resolution and it was a more fully functional part of the ecosystem and like core parts of the OS had been um it's time to stand Jeremy you too that's so funny <laughs> both of you guys yeah. at the same time stand, stand <laughs> off i want to see it it's got to be 10 so I don't, come on I don't, guys i don't do it do, do it do it I'm, do it i'm come currently on, come on sheep do I, I, it. I stand uh, for as little as a minute. I get my standing goal every day. As dude. little as a minute. Both you guys. Come oh. on. No, I'm good. Oh, um, so disappointing. Google made its first Tim, app Tim for the Apple like, Watch this week. The news and weather app has uh, has Apple Watch business. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, right. kind of, I guess. I don't know. It's still slow as shit. Um, I think that's it for what I've been testing. You got anything else, Jeremy? I got lots of stuff. Yeah, how many you want? What you got? Okay, so first, first of all, I've been testing a great OS X app. Um, you know how in Windows, if you hold down the Windows key and use the arrows, it will frame your window yeah. to, the, to the side of the monitor? Like stickies it? Yes, it stickies like like full... Full height. Full vertical, yeah. one exactly one half. Well, I found a... Um, I think you can press up and it'll go full screen, too. OS X app that does that. Uh, is it not running? <laughs> That's no good. Must be something you really ah, love and use all the time. Oh, I was loving it. All right, I'll find that in a second. Man, you have a lot no, of stuff in your, in your called, menu it's bar. It's called Spectacle. And it's Spectacle. like, it's beyond that. It's like you can do quarter screen, half screen, Ooh. full screen, which is handy in OS in OS ten. Yeah, it's so, one of my favorite features of Windows. So like, I think I can do this, and then I don't, it's nice, it's cool. Uh, so if you want to be able to control your Windows with keyboard strokes, I recommend it. Also, Boom. I went to this store in the Mission, and I purchased this rock. A rock? Is it a pet rock? You're talking it's about right from... Um, this is called Ulexite. What does it oh, do? Oh, you talk about this. This is I from Paxton, Paxton Gate. Yeah, Paxton Gate. This is where Winston came from. And this the is... Beaver. This, uh, the nickname of this rock is called TV Rock. And I'll demonstrate why. I'm going to take this rock and I'm going to put it's it... It's just a simple rock. On, <laughs> I'm going to put it on top of this. Now, Norm, I want you to put it on top of this and look directly down into the rock. Look down into the rock. Just put it on, a, on the, I'm, I'm putting the rock on a piece of a yep. pra- paper. Right. What devilry is this? And move it around. That's magic. Put it over the text. Have you tried it on your phone? Can you see that? It, pro- it projects whatever's beneath the rock onto the top surface. Wait, what? The fiber, it's, it's awesome. It's a very oh complex my God, this is cool. mineral, and it... Is ba- it simulates fiber optics? Can, I want. I want to see naturally. I've never wanted to see anything more in my life. 
I'm just going to put it on my phone. What, what could possibly yeah, go wrong? It works. Yeah. It works. Put it down on the just surface. Le- leave it completely down on the surface. Now move it around. That's, that's bananas. Isn't that awesome? It's I, like a Star Trek prop. Why don't they make phones out of this? You can think of how thick your phone could be. <laughs> that would be amazing. But it's like a Star Trek prop. It's like it's like a like a, tel- a hollow screen for right. For What's it called? Ulexite. Can people artificially it sounds manufacture? like a Star Trek prop? Like imagine. Ulexite. So here's the thing: if you can manufacture this, and you make the glass on top of your phone out of this stuff. Mm-hmm. It will look like whatever is projected up from the LCD underneath is literally on the surface of the phone and make it look like paper. There's a little bit of distance, but it is yeah. close. It does not look like a, a magnifying glass. I'm going to say this isn't going to appear in phones anytime soon. I can dream, Jerry but Williams. I think it's an amazing natural phenomenon. When people, when The people cool thing is that the size of it really accentuates. Put your finger under it. It looks like your finger is projected under the top. The size of this, the size of this small piece yeah. accentuates the, the thing. If it was like a giant piece, yeah. it would have less of an impact. But in fact, you can see around no, it. Think, of how, yes. think if it was exactly the size of your phone. <laughs> Look at how thick my phone is, bro. Okay, so if we were to describe it, I would say it's about a half inch thick, um, milky, looks like a, trans, uh, translucent it looks like quartz stone. Illinois. From the sides. The, yeah. the shape of Illinois. Well, but it could come in any size. But it grabs whatever's beneath it. It looks like it's polished on the top and bottom. Projects it onto the top. That's super cool. Natural fiber. Putting objects. it on a, a, dig, uh, a backlit screen yeah. is the That's coolest cool, thing. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you. Th- this is the next next year. This this September, Apple's uh, Tim Cook's going to come out, and then <laughs> Phil Schiller's going to come out. He's really like, look, <laughs> we, have, we have fiber optic glass. You can it makes it makes the image on the LCD screen, which is 120 percent of the NTSC gamut and better than retina quality, look like it is projected on the surface of the screen. This is the future. I hope you're not making fun of me. I'm not. I, 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 want, I want a piece of this. Yeah. Well, you know where to find it. Paxton Gate. Cool. Um, that seems like an awesome thing to put in kids' stockings at Christmas. Yeah. Uh, one. Uh, Anything else? One, I, we didn't have an official VR minute, but the VR jam oh, happened on. this week, or is still going on. Oh yeah, you got to try some uh, some of those apps. I have not yet. Have they been released? And now the VR minute. Hey Norm, what's going on in VR? So uh, Oculus, uh, in partnership with Nvidia, um, and I guess other companies are doing a VR VR jams. Um, like like uh, Smuckers, it, with a name like Smuckers, it has to be good VR. What are you doing? Teams, <laughs> developers got together all around night. the country in the world, um, and just started making games. It's a game jam for VR games. Yep. Yes, and some of those those APKs are, are out now for you to try. What's an APK? It's uh, an Android file for yeah. Samsung Gear, oh, yes. Gear VR. Have you been trying any? I have not yet. I think we should, you know what we should do? I have, a, I have a thought about this. I think we should take an afternoon one day, figure out if we can capture off of the, the, the new Gear VR, and just play shitloads of them. That'd be great. Play we as should. many of them as we can. We should. The, I want to, I, wanna, I, wanna, I mean, uh, I can try to find a curated uh, list of the good ones. How many of them are there? There's uh, dozens that I saw when I looked at more the list. More than that. Yeah, gigs a, and gigs. Yeah. I bet um, there's somebody at Oculus that can tell us which ones we should check out. There was a list, there was a page where you could vote on your favorites, but I didn't see a video. I mean, you could watch videos of them, but I didn't see li- links it, to download it them. It just told me I stood for a minute, so I earned another hour toward my stand goal. I think I get credit for running when I use my boosted board. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> on your watch? Yeah. Because of good. the speed that you're moving? Yeah. Wow. Nope. 
Nope, nope, nope. Um, um, they have extended the VR jam by five more days. It is a point of controversy uh, because some people, you know, there's money. If involved. you finish and yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. I'm really jealous. I'm not a game developer, but I there are games I definitely want to see made and. You could be a game developer, Norm. This is the, you could get on the ground floor of this. None of these guys were game developers two years ago. Yeah, you could be like download a copy of Unity for free. You could be jamming out some VR games this afternoon. I have a copy of Unity installed. You could download are, a copy of Unreal Four. You I, could have even better looking VR games, free also. I will say yeah, that, that going through the list of some of those games um, on the, on the landing page on the VR Jam page, I'm glad that none of my ideas are there yet. Um. I had an idea for a uh, Owen Wilson based game. This was based on the Idle Idle Thumbs with the Wizard Jam. Uh huh. So our our friends over at Idle Thumbs, a video gaming podcast by people who make video games instead of write about them, had uh, the Wizard Jam a few weeks ago. Uh, members of their community did it. It was the the requirements for their game jam were that the games had to be based on the names of podcast episodes. One of their podcast episodes was Owen Wilson's Nose. And I was really disappointed that no one made a punching Owen Wilson in the face to get his nose broken exactly the right way simulator. Wow. That would be a great VR game. There you go. Yeah. Uh, there was an issue. free, guys. You can have that one. There, one that I saw that made me laugh was SMS Racing. Okay. Where in the game you must race against five or six other guys and respond to text messages that come into your phone <laughs> down, by, down by your shifter. So you're holding your phone down here and you have to look down at your phone Within 10 seconds, reply to every text message. So is it a commentary on the safety of driving and texting at the same time? It's a fun video game. Okay. I would destroy that game. Norm, you, this is not destroy something to be proud it. of. This is gross. Can you have a, a watch with with Google Now on your left wrist to respond with voice oh. text messages? That's something else I want to talk about with the Apple Watch. What? It is really, really unsafe while driving. Like, you have way too much shit you can do with that thing. You think so? You should not be using Siri. You should not be sending text messages. But it's, it's at 10 o'clock on the wheel. It's, it's, you, no, no, 10 you, o'clock on the wheel is the bad thing. It's too slow. You have to stare at it for too long. Huh. That's the problem with the watch. I don't yeah. know. I, I advance tracks that way. I go into glances. I hit next track. That's different. That's that's okay. You can do that mostly by feel after you've done it for a while. Okay. You have the glance in the right spot. Okay. But like all of the voice control stuff is a disaster. Anyway, more that's VR minute stuff. Error, error correction. But no, uh, that's it for now. I, I would like to know if you have downloaded some of the VR Jam um, games and apps. Let me know what your favorites are. You're, we'll down, compile a list and then we'll we'll try them all. You're asking people what their favorite flavor of VR Jam is. Here's SMS Racing. That looks pretty good. I like where this is going. You can see. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Looking down yep. at the phone. Okay. Replying. That's good. Back at the road. And this is, it's, <laughs> it's very much like, um, it's, fantastic. It's, it's very much like, what was that? What was that? Uh, the world is not, a, no, uh, the, the, the Nintendo DS game where you had like a, a rhythm game on the bottom and a JRPG on the top and you do them both at the same time. I don't remember constantly that. going back and forth. It was brutal. Was that a PC game? No, it was a Nintendo DS game, <laughs> oh. I think. Oh my goodness. This looks, this the keyboard looks is terrible though, because the keyboard is, it's just the D pad. That's fine. Like, all, even if it's just like press up, down, right, left, it's and you not. Have to do it. You have to spell letters. Oh boy, the the voice is funny in the video too. They say like, you can always race again, but friendships are are fragile. <laughs> <laughs> um, Why aren't you responding to me? Why aren't you responding to me? <laughs> anybody still playing uh, GTA Five? Still playing GTA Five? Perfect no. game to play one mission and one or two missions a night. I sometimes I just load it up and go try to steal a jet from the military base. 
I've been watching all the mod videos. Some funny There's stuff. Some good mod stuff happening. Flying there. monkeys. Did, Did you, you like see the, the pigeon one? I saw the cat. What's the pigeon you one? Just, you literally loaded up and you're a pigeon. So you're like, you can jack cars as a pigeon. You can drive around as a pigeon. I don't know if I, that's, that's, that strains my bunch of disbelief. So the other, the other great one is, I, this is something I heard about on Idle Thumbs. There's a section of the map that if you go to and call the cab, it's kind of over by the military base, and tell the cab driver to hurry. It takes you basically over a dirt road through the mountains that's a, that one out of 10 taxi cabs survives. So somebody on Reddit figured this out. And basically, it's a challenge to see if the cab driver can handle, the cab driving AI can handle the windy mountain road when it's trying to maintain the 40 to 50 miles an hour that it does when you tell it to hurry, to step on it. Wow. It's great. It's super fun and, and really dumb. Uh, I like the mod where uh, all the planes try to crash into you. Like, like it's just like they're all coming to get that. you like in the matrix. All the planes are, and, and but the planes still behave like they do. So the big planes have to do wide banking turns. But you basically see like <laughs> dozens of planes in the sky all chasing you. Wow. That's and trying to crash into you. Um, scary. I got the submarine the other day. I was pretty excited about that. Interesting. Um, so I guess that'll do it for news. Let's take a couple of questions and we'll call it a show. Emails? Well, but we do the other one. Emails. Yeah, we don't do emails. We do emails. No, 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 no. Questions. Boom. If you have a question for this is only a test, the email address is podcast at tested.com. Uh, please send your questions in. We we always like questions. I love getting trivia, stuff that we've made mistakes on. Those are always fun to read, too. Uh, our first question comes from Kyle. Kyle says, hey, guys, I wear in-ear monitors slash earbuds for four hours each day at work on average. I've been doing this for years because I can't wear over-the-ear headphones in my line of work in a clinical lab, but in-ear monitors aren't comfortable for many reasons. They've been my only option for listening to music at work. Um, I've always stayed away from custom-molded IEMs due to their price, but recently I've been thinking that given the number of hours I spend listening to them, the cost might be worth it. I imagine they'd be far more comfortable than various inner monitors I've tried, including the foam tips, which I think are kind of gross. Um, do any of you have experience with them? Rather, uh, I'd rather do the uh, DIY mods, or have you been to an audiologist to have them fitted? Um, that's that's basically the question. Um, have you had inner monitors fitted? So I had a pair of Edemotics years ago. How does that work? Um, basically, I've never done the, in-ho- the at-home kit. That seems like it's high risk to me, given that you have to pour stuff into your ear hole. Um, but when you went to the audiologist, then you basically, they, they fit you like they're fitting you for a hearing aid. Um, so you get some stuff poured in your ear. They use that to make a positive hmm. and then they make a negative off of that and make a mold for your, for whatever type of earbuds you have. It has to be a specific, specific kind of, uh, tip on the earbud, uh, so that they have the right, um, kind of mount for it, but then they'll tuck all the way in your ear. Um, and you get much, the, the big problem I had with them, the reason I stopped using them is that I couldn't hear anything in the outside world when I had them in. Yeah. Um, like, like literally could hear nothing, hmm. um, which was really awesome when I was on an airplane and kind of wanted to sleep. Uh, they were very comfortable. Um, uh, like there's, there a little more pressure on your ear than maybe like, a um, like one of those comply foam tips that I usually put on my earbuds. Now I find that those are a better mix of like fitted really well to, to, too tight and too noise blocky. Um, but yeah, the the I would I would say if you wear your earbuds every day at work for four or five hours, um, and you, like you have a couple hundred bucks going to the audiologist and having them fitted is not a bad idea. Before I do that, I would find a pair of earbuds or in ear monitors that you really like, because like those are ones that you're presumably going to have for a really long time, 
Um, and like I would go with the with whatever the wire cutter high end recommendation is for for your monitors, assuming you can get those fitted. Um, preferably something that you can replace the cables on in case you break them, because uh, it would suck to have two hundred dollar um, you know audiologist fitted tips put in and then bust your earbuds a week later. Um, but that that's that's my and. I, I like the foam tips. If you if they don't feel comfortable, you probably just didn't have the right size. Yeah. My experience. Is an audiologist just an ear doctor? Um, audiologists are like opticians for, for hearing aids. Oh, I see. So um, I don't know who you go to. I think you go to an ear, nose, and throat person for like hearing tests and and that stuff if you need hearing aids. And then they refer you to an audiologist to get the hearing aid fitted and gotcha. pick out brands and all that stuff. Um, Jared writes... Hey guys, I'm currently looking into home automation. Would like your thoughts on this. I was originally looking into the SmartThing system, but with Amazon Echo supporting Wemo by Belkin, I've begun to lean toward that instead. Is voice control a big enough plus to go with the Belkin system? The reviews on Amazon for it seem to think it's a mixed bag of either great or it's terrible, depending on the person. Uh, do you have any experience with Wemo? Do you think Echo will expand to be compatible with SmartThings? I looked into doing just the Philips Hue lights, but I feel like they are too expensive. Um, yeah, you're right about the Philips Hue lights. They are way too expensive on their own. Um, for the cost of like outfitting your house with Hue lights, you can probably do everything you would ever want and more. I'm surprised there isn't a pirate version of Hue yet on eBay. Right. Like like Chinese knockoffs? Yeah. I'm sure there are. If you uh-huh. go to Banggood or, or Smart Buy Good or one of those places, I'm sure you can find them. Uh, the problem with Hue is that you have to have the separate hub, I think. Like that's the big mm-hmm. knock against that. Um, I, I would say. I haven't actually tested multiple hubs because it's an enormous pain in the ass to disassociate Zigbee and Z-Wave stuff from one hub or the other. I almost think that the thing to do is if we want to test, if we want to compare the Wink and the Wemo and the and the smart things to set up some fake houses like or do one room in your house with one and one room in your house with the other. But we'd have to buy replacement bulbs because like once you have the bulbs associated with the hub, it's really hard to unassociate them and associate them with something else. Hmm. Um, for switches, it's even worse. You have to basically turn off the circuit breaker four or five times, which has issues that you can torch other stuff in your house. So I haven't, I haven't ever tried to do that. Um, there's no SDK right now out for Amazon Echo. Um, and even it's a private dev program. Yeah. Or private Amazon invite only, invite only slow, slow rollout. Uh, and even with the Wemo stuff, not all Wemo devices work with it. It's just like the switches. Uh, but voice is a super compelling thing. Yeah, you you have your Hue stuff set up so you can turn it off with I your voice. Um, we have an alarm clock in the house that is that lets you do the same thing. Since SmartThings added the ability to add shortcuts to stuff in your pull down in your today menu pull down as widgets, that's that's the most useful thing of all because like I can do that from the lock screen on my phone. You hit the button and it turns off all the lights in the house or turns everything back on. Um, so I, I quite like that. I think that's a really good solution. Have you played with If Then Then That using uh, at all or using Alexa? Uh, yes. The Alexa integration is great for adding stuff to like Evernote's shopping list, mm-hmm. which is what I, I use it for. Oh, cool. There's a bunch of people that have hacked in like SmartThings support by using If This Then That and the Evernote to say, if you have an Evernote note that has this phrase in it, then do this to SmartThings. And it just monitors the Yeah, Evernote? but the latency is bad enough that like it's not, yeah. it's not, hey, Alexa, turn off the lights in the living room. It's, hey, Alexa, turn off the lights in the living room, and then five minutes later, it turns right. off the lights, which yeah. sucks. So um, SmartThings, SmartThings external API has not been updated to add a lot of the new functionality they've added in the last six months. So I'm hopeful that when they get the, the next generation of the hub done, 
that stuff will get a look. It's still a relatively small team, despite being owned by Samsung now. So they they have to kind of focus their efforts. But that's I, I'm quite happy with their support overall. The addition of the widget solved most of the problems that would have like would have would have been helped by voice control with Alexa. I'm sure it'll eventually support all of that stuff though. Um, I think I have one more. Um, uh, Neil says, hey guys, uh, on the Galaxy S6 video, Norm mentioned that the OnePlus One had the best battery life of any smartphone he's ever used. I have a OnePlus One and initially found this to be the case too, but now after six months, I find that my battery life is severely diminished. Um, I've been in training today, so my phone has been in my pocket all day, and it's 1.25 in the afternoon, and I'm already at 45% battery. I wonder if either of you had any battery optimization tips in general for smartphones, or if Norm has any Android or OnePlus One specific tips. For conserving battery. Well, I mean, the first thing is you occasionally need to reset stuff by letting it run all the way down a couple of times in a row. Um, reset so, battery? Re, well, reset the kind of battery controller so that it knows what the actual capacity of the battery is rather than just what it thinks it is. I know that helps on laptops and, and stuff like that. Like Lenovo, for example, even has that stuff built into the battery. So every 20 or 30 charge cycles, it'll run it all the way down, even if it's plugged in. I don't think it's a bad idea to reset your phone every once in a while, too. Just like reboot it? Re, nuts, re, re, reboot, absolutely. Like rebooting your phone once every two weeks is not uncommon. But every six months, do a clean, clean start on your phone. That's just such a pain in the ass, though. Sure enough. Is it really with all the backup stuff? Well, what are you, if what you, are you if you, are you saying cop, like wipe and then restore the backup? No, no, no. Start start from scratch. Yeah, that's a huge pain in the ass. Because if you have two-factor authentication on stuff, it takes hours to set it folks up. It takes one hour. I've done it. I did it last week, and it took it took an evening, basically, of two-factor authentication. It's because my phone is the two-factor authentication thing. Yes. So you have to reset all the two-factor authentications, and then you have to go log back into everything and set up one password and all that. It was You set one password, you set up Dropbox, and then you set up Google. And from those things, well, setting up Google is a lot easier on Android than it is on iOS. Also, probably okay. Probably, so yeah. for this guy, for yeah. Android users, I'd say every every six months, refreshing your phone from scratch allows you to one decide what apps you really want and need on your phone. Let's you try stuff and not have to worry about things sticking up. Get your all your and all your images are backed up through Google anyway, full res and mm-hmm. videos as well. So it's it's worth doing. Parking meter. Um, the, the thing, one of the things that people try to do to, to save battery life is to kill background apps. That is uh, almost always a mistake because the OS is generally much better at managing power and the power used to relaunch the app may be less than it is to bring it out of the like on, on flash suspend mode. Um, unless it's using location data or something like that. Well, that's the exception. Um, for iOS users, I know that turning off Facebook's background updates saved me about 10% battery life at the end of the day. Um, and both OSs have tools that let you see which apps, apps are using um, the ba- battery at this point, which is really useful. That's new in iOS. Yeah, that was a new in iOS 8, but Android's had it for a few few years now. I like it. Um, so yeah, don't, don't but don't use like those app background app killers and that stuff. That, that stuff's always a, a mistake. Um, let it run all the way down occasionally. That's the best advice is look at that list of all the apps that are using your battery sorted by quantity and kill the top. Well, so the, I mean, but the other thing is the lithium ion battery controllers can sometimes get a little bit too conservative and, and think that your battery is dead before it's actually dead. So they don't, they don't, the batteries don't have a memory, but they do like the, 
the the edges of 100% and 0% will get squinched in a little bit over time. And if you run it down two or three times yep, in a row, that that'll actually do it. Fill it all the way up and run it all the way down. Um, also, don't leave it like if you're if you don't have battery life problems during the day, don't leave it on the charger all day. Actually do cycle the battery on a day to day basis because that that helps. Um, so I guess that'll do it for us this week. Uh, thank you guys for watching and supporting. This is only a test. Uh, Jeremy Williams, anything going on with you? You want people to know about? Oh, I'm tweeting now and then. I'm at you're you're, you're on the twitters. I'm at Twitter at Jerware. Uh, Norman Chen at N Chen. I'm at Will Smith. Um, we've got uh, th- th- just come to the site. There's always good stuff on the your your videos from Rick Baker will be up later today through early next week. Um, we had the test kitchen stuff on last. Was it just last week? It seems like a long time ago. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Um, you have uh, uh, Star Wars felting stuff up earlier this week. Jeremy, you have a big video that'll be up by the time you see this or shortly thereafter. Oh, that soon? By the um, time you guys watch this. That's exciting. Like or later, you, t- yes, later today. today. Be on Tested Today for cool stuff with Jeremy. Can we tell them? If they made it through two and a half hours of podcast, they deserve to know. It's well, a one-day build starring Jeremy Williams with Adam. Yeah. Jeremy, Jeremy helped with a project. Are you calling it a one-day build? Yes. <laughs> it was. It was not it, a real. It, it's well. You have to it, watch the, the whole brand video. Is one-day build. You have to hold, watch the whole right. video to see what actually happened. It was a very exciting uh, thing that we did. Dun dun dun. Um, that's it. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of This Only Test. Thanks for watching, guys. Today's outro. I didn't pull a new one. So today's outro comes from Minker Seventeen. It's the same as last week. See you guys later. Bye. I did it for as long as my ass could take for multiple days in a row, so probably 10, 20 minutes at a time. Unicycling, guys. <laughs> this We did this last week, I right? said it was last week, okay, so okay, yeah. yeah. Unis- unicycling. Um, Glitch in the Matrix. Guess how much money AOL makes? With from dial up, uh, two million dollars. No, 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 no. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna <laughs> Wait, say Jeremy already said they have 2.2 million subscribers. I'm going with 30 million a year, 200 million, one billion dollars. The company <laughs> just sold for 4.4 billion dollars. Mm-hmm. So, so usually you do four times uh, revenue on a sale, but I don't know if that scales up to that size. And they make money from a bunch of other businesses aside from dial up, but the surprise 100 thing million. Is, okay, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> 101 million. Oh my goodness. You guys are done. <laughs> 100 million and one dollars. You guys are done. Were you prices right rules in this? How much? AOL currently makes 606 million dollars a right year off. from dial up. 24% of its revenue. They got to be the only people left doing dial up, right? That's why. Uh, Who else sells dial up? Literally? Literally? Probably not. I mean, not. I'm sure there's somebody not. small place right. in Montana or something that does dial up still, but for the most part. I just think it's funny that you develop a little southern drawl when you say dollop. Dollop. <laughs> I'm offended by that, sir. That's placist. He just did it. Reroll the, the, I know. the podcast. Um, $606 million? Holy crap. I that, so That's good business. Did either of you have... Norm, you're probably too young, but I had a friend in college who quit school his sophomore year to, to basically launch a local dial-up ISP. Yeah. And then he sold it to Earthlink, which then sold it to another company. Or no, he sold it to Mindscape, which sold it to another company, which sold it to AOL. Oh, my gosh. And he ended up owning a 
you know, not a massive chunk of AOL, but a chunk of AOL because of the Earthlink act, because when Earthlink was acquired, he got equity in Earthlink and yeah, and he basically has never had to work again. Jeez. Good. So yeah, that was nice. That's great. Yeah. Um because he started a dial-up ISP Smart. out of his literally a one-bedroom apartment in but Knoxville, Tennessee. Taking stock was a good move back then. Yeah. So yeah, that was, a, that was a risk. earlier this week. Also, I wonder how he fared through all the Time Warner AOL stuff because that seems like it was maybe up and down. AOL bought Time Warner. I know, and then lost a shitload of money over ten years and dumped Time Warner back out. I gotta go save my car yeah, yeah. from a ticket. Same we, here. We will see you guys next week. Thanks for watching. Bye.